Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. My servants began to forge what was to become the most dreaded costume on the face of the Earth. The last thing to fit was the mask. Episode 18. Would it conform to my twisted features and comfort? Uncanny X-Men number 144 through 147. And X-Men Days of Future Past. Queen's metal mask with gasoline. They after him last scene. Pull a chick like a fiend. Pull a fast one. Can't put shit past him. Got niggas on his own team. Bad enough to blast him. Retarded in real life on the Mike Rain Man. Hey, and welcome to the 18th episode of the Great Expectations Podcast. I am your co-host, Sean. And I am your co-host, Jerry. <laughs> Alright, um, I know that everyone is super excited to hear our thoughts, or you're not, or you're like, fuck, I don't want to listen to these guys No, talk no, about. we know. But we, we know. deep down, you might not be excited to hear me talk about Days of Future Past, but I am super excited to talk about it, the days, to talk about Days of Future Past. So, we are going to get to that with a special guest in a little bit, but first we're going to start off with some more of the reread. Yeah! So here we go. Previously on X-Men. So Sean, quick recap of where we, where we've been. Giant size X-Men. <laughs> no. Uh, so recently, Jean Grey has died. Cyclops has left the team. Yep. Kitty Pride has joined the team. She had her first test as a member of the X-Men. By defeating this Nagari demon thing, by vaporizing it with the jets of the X-Plane. And totally wrecking the place in the process. Completely wrecking the place. Yeah. And that leaves us at issue 144 of Uncanny X-Men. Let's talk about it. Sean, as I was rereading this, I stumbled again across a very interesting letter in the X-Mail column at the end of issue... 143, which is Burns' last issue. <clears throat> and I believe we've discussed this before, but this time I want to read the letter in its entirety, if you don't mind. I don't mind. To the editor, I have a complete collection of X-Men. My first issue was number 37. Since then, I've been an avid fan of the book through the old and new teams, but number 138 is my last issue. I quit. The change from the old X-Men to the new X-Men was fairly simple to adjust to because the book was still excellently scripted and drawn. But for the last two years, since number 113, I've watched the book degenerate, watched the X-Men become a perversion of what they once were, watched you twist and mangle characters you virtually created. I first decided to stop buying during the Hellfire Club storyline, but held on for sentimental reasons and a vague hope that things would get better. During the Dark Phoenix story, I again decided to quit, but upon hearing what the conclusion would be, decided to stick around till Cyclops left. And now I can no longer justify buying the X-Men, not even to keep my entire collection complete. Each issue hurts too much. I love the X-Men, and if you treated them as they deserve, I would still be a faithful supporter. But until matters change, you've lost yourself a reader. And it is signed, Kurt Busiek. It's pretty awesome. Like, Fuck you guys. I'm going to read a. That's right. <laughs> and I'm going to study it really hard so I can write a really awesome run of it someday. Taking notes on how not to treat my characters. And um, it's interesting. I've had these kinds of thoughts about 
lots of runs of comics. Only once have I ever written a letter like this about it. But um, he sounds kind of dumb. What the, what the hell did you uh? What the hell did you write the letter for? The letter was for Hawkeye number seventeen. The Eliopolis oh, drawing. Wait, it's a new one. New yeah. this was. Well, <laughs> how often has Hawkeye made it to through seventeen is, issues? Yeah, dude. but I was like, okay, I, like at first when you started to pause, I was like, maybe he's gonna say six. Maybe there's something I don't know about. No, nope. I love the fact that you McRaged this, like, because Kurt Busiek at this point is probably a youngster, you know. Right. But I love you, old man McDated fraction. So, um, mistakes were made. I assume he. I, I hope he's gone back and reread it and thought, you know, I, love the, I was I, in a bad place. It wasn't me. I actually wish we lived in a world where Hughes, Kurt Busiek completely stopped and has never read Days of Future Past because he fucking missed out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We came to these stories much later. You know, we had read a, a lot more story before we went back and revisited this. He was coming at it from the beginning. And I think we've seen characters that we love put through the ringer and killed off. And, um, for example, Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh my god. And, uh, if I, that cover I know. That I showed you the other day is true. I'm going to lose it. I think it's gonna be okay. I think this letter proves that it's gonna be okay. We just have to, we have to look at this letter as a cautionary tale. I wonder about... how he feels about the Dark Phoenix saga now. Like, when he hears everyone in the industry, like, laud it, is he ever just like, fuck you guys. That's garbage. Yeah. Does well, he hold on to his youthful McRage? I don't know. I think that's, it's all perspective, right? I, that's, that's what this show is. I was thinking about this today. That's what this show is. Everybody's got their time when they discover the X-Men, and that's usually their deepest, that, time period is their deepest love for the X-Men. For you, it was right around X-Men number one. For me, it's, you know, the, the John Romita Jr. stuff that everybody my age hates. <laughs> that's when I discovered it. So that's the stuff I love, but um, seems like everybody else came in either during Paul Smith or after when Sylvester was on. Yeah. But, but like, that's, that's your team. When I saw that Mike Norton sketch yesterday of the John Romita Jr. team. I was like, damn it. That that is exactly what I love. You know, like the the burn stuff is is better, but that stuff has a special place in right. my heart. So so I feel like this show is giving people an opportunity to kind of explain why, you know, their favorite time period is their favorite. I challenge one human being to come on the show and say Austin and get out of here alive. Yeah. That that is, I mean, yesterday when I was at the shop, a couple weeks ago, Pavel was a kid we know from the shop. Um, I've met him. I'm not going to say I know the guy. Okay. Okay. Unless you say he did something cool. No. Damn it. Yeah, I don't. He know does listen to the show though. So I know. Right he now, does. He's I know. He does. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> so he, uh, I was. He was. He made some comment about how Gambit was a crappy character, and I was like, "Dude, you fucking read that somewhere? Like, if you had grown up in the '90s, you would be fucking blowing Remy LeBeau like every other kid that grew up in the '90s, right?" I was like, "Everything's about the time period that you." And he was like, oh, "All right, I can, you know, all right." When you explain it, like, you know, he was the big character. I'm like, "You're just picking up like what other people have said and making a judgment call on that." 
so yesterday, he came into the shop, when I came into the shop, he was like, he was like, I figured out an idea. He was like, I'll pick an Ultimate X-Men game as a story. And I was like, no, I'd kill myself first. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, no, hear me out. He's like, I'll I'll pick a good Ultimate X-Men story for you to read, and you pick a good Gambit story for me to read. He was in an annual? He was like on the subway or something, right? And then she goes, that's a fucking Austin issue. And I was like, I'm out. (laughs) And Scratch went and pulled it out of the bin. Which one was it? What do you think? It was like... Ultimate X-Men number 14 or something. It was like right He wrote there. Ultimate X-Men? Yeah, I guess we opened it up. It said Chuck Austin. Scratch is a genius. How he, does he do I, that? Dude, I don't know. Wow. I had no idea he was writing that. Hmm. Yeah. So like how you look at me and the age difference between you and I yeah. when you're like, really? Yeah. The 90s stuff? <laughs> like I look at Pavel now because of the age difference between him and I and I'm like, do. Yeah. Like, but no at least way. I have an argument, Sean. It's true. <laughs> yeah, you can, I mean, you can always make the excuse that they have, the 90s have a place in your heart. But I think that the, that early ultimate stuff is coming from a different place creatively where you've got young guys at the top of their game yeah. instead of learning on the job. And I think it's the stories are just more thought out, better constructed, better drawn, um, Damn, and a man. lot more appealing. But, but I don't know. My Carlos Pacheco '90s shaved head Nightcrawler with the sweet pirate sword beats <laughs> weird, glowy from the inside Weapon X Nightcrawler any day of the week. Yeah, so yeah. Eat a dick, Jerry. <laughs> There, Ultimate X-Men. How about that? That's why we came here today. <laughs> Sorry. Jerry hates me. <laughs> we have to, you know, the whole sh- show was built on us arguing about stuff. And one day I realized we never argue about things anymore. We need to argue more. Well, we're in a, we're in a sweet spot. That's true. During That's the, why I'm looking forward to this crap, because we're going to go at it. During the 90s, I'm going to fucking murder you. <laughs> I'll just be really quiet. I don't want to ruin it for you. I honestly don't want to ruin it. There are only so many times I can go, I just don't like this stuff. Right. But hopefully I will learn to like it. I'm hoping that my weird passion, like I, the other night. If I had to be here about. At about 3.30 in the morning the other night, I was up explaining like a conversation that Bobby Drake's dad. I knew you were going to. Oh my God. I almost said, if I have to hear about Bobby Drake's dad one more time. That fucking every ep- dude, every episode, Bobby Drake's dad. How many? He was in like two issues. Yeah, but it was great. Ah, let it go, Sean. Let it go. Let it go. I'm glad it was great. Though. I was trying to explain why I thought the Days of Future Past was better than the Avengers, and I started to discuss the whole like, there's a, they're fucking, the X Men are better than every other fucking comic book on the planet. You don't have to explain that to me. I agree. You gotta fucking, like, the Avengers are like, oh, they're, they're fucking swanky dickheads, man. Oh, I get to live in a sweet fucking mansion and, like, get a paycheck. And the mutants are like, we're huddled in a fucking, like, could you imagine? We're huddled in a mansion. Right. (laughs) But ours is in downtown. Exactly. Wait. And it's a- Where's downtown? Oh, then fuck that guy. (laughs) That, they're, X-Mansion, totally different. It's a school. 
Oh, yes. You want to spend all your days at a school? No. I want to be in Manhattan. Exactly. Yes. Right? Yes. At least every time that the X-Mansion gets blown up, like every other issue, at least nobody else is around. Right? That's right. The Avengers are like, don't worry, New York, we're going to set up shop right in the fucking middle. Right in the fucking middle. Yeah. And sometimes we're going to go to space, we're just going to leave Jarvis here. Hope shit don't get fucked. Oh, man, poor Jarvis. Every time they're out of town and shit goes down, Jarvis is getting anally raped by... (laughs) The freaking masters of evil. What's it's weird, not fair. I was like, I wonder if he's gonna say anally rape, and then you did. <sighs> the poor guy. Summers were poor. Yeah. Iceman's dead. Anal rapage. We know each other, man. Yeah. Probably better than we should. So we're off to our strongest start yet, ever. This is gonna be awesome. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> it's gonna be good. People are eating this up. Listen, you want to get into this? What we're talking about right now, you're about to stop this great conversation that we're having and halt it with, hey, here's an X-Men book with a fucking Man-Thing in it. Dude. I I love it, actually. It was a really great issue. And I do love (laughs) Man-Thing. X-Men. I have some soft spots that are not X-Men. Wow. Is Man-Thing one of them? He's one of them. So. Turn around and see the Man-Thing omnibus on my shelf. Holy shit. It's not very good, but I still love it. Since the first time that I met Scratch, who's another kid that shops at our store, who's weird. Um, weird. Doesn't listen to the show. I don't think I don't think he lives in a house with electricity. <laughs> <laughs> and he the first thing he ever recommended me was a man thing annual like giant size man thing number four, which was about a kid that like got picked on. And so he wound up like I, he somehow he died, like a, either like he killed himself or maybe like the gym teacher at school, like, worked him into the ground, so he wound up dying, and then Man-Thing comes after, like, the townspeople, because they were all against this kid. And as I was reading it, like, I was like, is this a, is this a cry for help? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ask you the same thing, Jerry. Is it a cry for help? Was there a moment where you were like, Man-Thing, you understand me. And you, like, did the slow walk away from the playground into the wilderness? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, every Man-Thing... Issue is sort of like the end of the Incredible Hulk TV show. You know, the credits? Yeah. With the sad music? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, it's like that, you know? It's got that sad, it's got, it's got horror, it's got sadness, it's got swamps which terrify me. Swamps are terrifying. Uh, it's cool. But it's not the X-Men. But! In this one instance, it is my two loves coincide. And not only do they coincide, but they coincide with a beautiful... Is this Michael Golden? I forget who that is. No, it was Brent Anderson. With a beautiful Brent Anderson cover showing Cyclops blasting despair in the forehead. And despair is what color on this cover? Pink. Pink. Here we go again. Sorry, L.A. Rabbit. Didn't mean to point that out again. Uh, yeah. So this is a really upbeat issue. Uh, Chris Claremont wrote it, as usual. Brent Anderson, a young guest penciler, drew it. 
and you should recognize that name because he drew one of the greatest of all time Marvel graphic novels called Sean. God loves men kills. That is correct. Someday I'm going to meet that dude and I'm going to get a sketch on my jam piece. And he recently did yes, some work in All New X-Men. Number 21. Number 21. Yeah, he did. It was cool. I don't know if I would have picked up on it if I hadn't heard Bendis talk about it. But they did a flashback to God Loves Man Kills at the beginning of the issue, and he had him come and illustrate it. Uh, his style has changed since he drew back then, but he had to illustrate in the style that he used for the graphic novel. It was so fucking cool. Yeah, that was really cool. And I, I hope it didn't go over everybody's head. I don't think it did. And if it doesn't, that's why you're listening to us. That's right. So, this issue is his first X-Men work, I believe. And it's pretty darn good. This is classic Bronze Age style art. This would look right at home in a Man-Thing issue, I think. Yeah. But it opens with a man named Jock Forrester sitting in the swamp. And he's uh, dressed up for work. Smoking a fag. He's got his briefcase next to him and his open wallet. And you can just see on the opening splash page the barrel of a gun coming out from behind his knee next to him. And he's sitting in repose and Man-Thing's looking on wondering what's going on. He's drawn to Jock's emotions. Jock has just discovered that he has cancer. And he's quietly weeping because... uh he knows he's about to join his dead wife, but he wished it had happened years ago when she passed away. He loads the gun that he's brought with him. He's trying to decide whether or not he's going to kill himself. And then uh, as he reaches for the gun, he picks it up. Next to the gun is a wallet that's got a picture of a young lady in it. Um, and that will be important later. But he, he loads the gun, picks it up, and then you see this slithery, oily thing come into the picture that tells him to do it. And in a really incredible six-panel spread across the top third of the page, um, it illustrates him killing himself without actually showing it. Yeah. Heavy stuff to begin an X-Men issue. That's what I'm saying. I don't see that in the Avengers. You really don't see that in the Avengers. It's it's a different kind of book. Yeah. That's um, all I'm saying. No, I, I mean, I agree with you 100%. And there have been times in my life where I flip-flop back and forth between which one's my favorite. I mean, as a kid, it was always the X-Men. This is an awesome sequence. The spear looks really cool. Oh, and as as he's pulling the trigger, he says, Leave, I... And then, blam, he kills himself. And the oily figure takes human form and it is despair who is a demon who first appeared in a claremont and burn issue of marvel team up it was issue number 68 and i believe this is his second appearance uh and in his first appearance in the marvel team up spider-man teamed up with man thing against despair uh and it did not go well for man thing turns out that despair causes fear in man thing and anything that Knows fear burns at Man-Thing's touch, yeah. including himself. But uh, Man-Thing is enraged by Despair's actions, causing Jock to kill himself. So he attacks Despair and <laughs> ignites in flame. 
and Despair laughs and uh, takes the form of the dead Jock Forrester. My throat hurts. Take it away. There's a lot of uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers-esque stuff in Claremont's work. Yeah. Because this is now the second time we've had, like, dead bodies be possessed by something. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, Invasion of the Body Snatchers was not... You know what I mean. No, I follow you. So then uh, it cuts to uh, Shark Bay, a fishing port. And it's Lee Forrester's... Well, it's... How do you say it? I'm going to guess it's pronounced Elitus. Okay, so it's Elitus Forrester's ship, Jack's only child. So now you know the connection there. It's pretty cool, like I said in the last episode that we, when we were talking about the Stevie Hunter thing, it's just like, it's really cool that Claremont spent so much time building up secondary characters that you care about. Yes. You know? Don't see that enough anymore. So Cyclops has joined up after Jean Grey died. He went on the shipping thing to get away from the X-Men, basically find himself. Because you got to think, like, what, Scott? Early 20s? Yes. At this point? So, uh, kind of gets into a skirmish with one of the dudes that's on the boat because he wants to see Scott's glasses, so he goes grab them for him. So you get the usual Scott angsty, like, if my eyes are exposed, I'll blow a hole through whatever. <laughs> so they put up their dukes, but it ends in a handshake. Yep. Naturally. Oh, and Lee mentions that she hired Scott because he's beautiful. Why do you think? Which is awesome. Turning the old uh, sexism on its ear. Yeah. I like it. Every job I ever got was because I was good looking. I was about to say, yeah. So then we got a segue over to the school. The X-Men are cleaning up Kitty's mess from the fight with the Nagari demon. These poor bastards. I did, uh... They point out that it's been months since, since that last issue. So lots of time has gone by. Yeah. So, the, one of the parts that made me laugh during this whole thing is, uh, Professor Xavier calls Angel up. And he's just like, yes. the repairs for this, it's gonna be pretty expensive. Or he says, they are considerable. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Warren's just like, don't like, worry about it, Professor, I got it. And it just cracks me up because it's like, the thing you've told me where, like, I had Xavier, like, revered in my head, but it's like, yeah. no, I mean, you're, Dick. Yeah, he's a user, man. Like, oh, Professor X is calling me up to the office. It's finally my shot. I get my alone time with the big man. Angel, I need some money. It's not, and it's, he doesn't even ask him. Right. He doesn't even ask him. He, which makes me think that he probably fucking mind controlled one. <laughs> Cause he's yeah. like, I've been totaling the reconstruction costs for the danger room, the hangar, the Blackbird aircraft, the mansion itself. They are considerable. Like, he's like, Warren, it's a fuck ton of money. How much money? A fuck ton. And Warren's like, uh, sure thing, professor. He does say, if you need money, all you have to do is ask. But he didn't ask. He didn't ask. Yeah, that's, I didn't pick up on that before, but that's awesome. He's like, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Glad I I'm not gonna he, ask. He You're just even, gonna give me the he money. He doesn't even say thank you. He says, I appreciate that, Warren. I'm glad I can count on you. Glad you're around to make poor decisions, but bankroll this whole thing. Well, now we know why he's there. Can't wait till you get turned into death. <laughs> <laughs> Warren is that guy at work where you're always like, why do they keep him around? Sean, you know that guy. I am that guy. Exactly. 
So now we know why they Lux. keep that guy around. Right. I bankroll the whole operation, Jerry. You don't know that about me. It's that anaconda you've got stuffed down your pants. The X-Men, I think, are, are getting pretty tired of fixing the place up, and Wolverine and Nightcrawler are just cutting loose on Kitty about it. Uh, teasing not. her hard. If Kitty had balls, they are busted mightily. They are busted. Um, they do not go easy on her, and finally, uh, being the 13 and a half year old that she is, she, she pulls a Jerry and she bolts crying. Right through the wall, like I usually do, Kool-Aid man style. I've had it, you guys! <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> I'm gonna put that word balloon in my omnibus. <laughs> Maybe that! I should have let that monster kill me. Oh, yeah! <laughs> now fucking every time Kitty Pride phases through anything. <laughs> Emma Frost head. Oh, yeah! <laughs> yeah. So, um, Nightcrawler gets a hold of himself and he realizes he was being a douche and and he goes outside, brings her her jacket, because it's the middle of winter, and, and apologizes. And then he kind of realizes uh he probably was doing it because it felt good, because he unconsciously was still sore that she was having such a hard time like accepting his friendship yeah. because of how weird he looks. So cut back to uh southern Florida, land of Justin Peterson, and... uh Scott pulls out this sweet trick shot with his optic glass on the on the billiard table. Um, when nobody's looking, just to flex his muscles. That's right. So Lee is almost as fast a mover as uh, Colleen Wing. When I, I don't know why Cyclops deserves all this attention from women and insists on ignoring it. Because uh, if it's thrown at you all the time, buddy, you just, you know... They're basically the throwing their panties better, on Chief. stage yeah. every night. That's and he's like, no, oh, that's cool. It's like, alright. I had a, I had a redhead the other day. I'll stick around for... Lee decides she needs to go home for some reason. It's not important why. But she decides she's bringing Scott home and she won't take no for an answer. They take a sweet-ass fan boat through the swamp to, uh, her dad's chalet. This place is a palace. He's a retired something or other. I don't know. She's a fisherman. Maybe she inherited his business or something. I don't remember. So um, she runs and gives old dad a hug. And she says, how's by you, Pop? And Pop says, Pop killed himself this morning. I helped him do it. And he turns into despair, which is effed up. And then he bitch slaps her right down the stairs. Not even down the stairs, dude. <laughs> over the railing and like a good, what do you think, six feet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Despair don't play, man. I guess not. Uh, so Scott saves the day though and catches her. Cause he's Cyclops leader of the X-Men. That's right. Despair turns the whole house into the Tower of Warthank. This huge, uh, Onyx Palace. And then he decides he's gonna start smacking him around. Suddenly, Scott has a full-on flashback to the day he lost his parents. And I th- I want to say this is the first time we see it in detail. Oh, okay, that that's right? what I was going to ask you too because I thought so. I think this is the first time where we see like there's the time in the Savage Land where he kind of has the fuzzy memory about it when he's looking in the pool. Yeah. 
I think this is the first time where he's like remembering dialogue and and pretty much everything that happens until he hit the ground. And so he remembers that Alex is there. He remembers his mom, Anne. The only thing it doesn't show is his dad. They're still saving that bit with Corsair for later. But so basically, for those who, who aren't familiar with the story, like every good Cyclops story, this one begins in a plane that starts crashing. Yeah, I'd so, never get in a plane. That's why, that's <laughs> never why, get in a plane with Scott Summers. That's why later on he has that jetpack, because he's like, I'm not risking anybody else. <laughs> Fuck that. Give everybody else jetpacks. Because yeah. everybody else seems to Scott, die. you can walk. So, uh... Yeah, Larry Hama's taking notes as he's reading this as a little boy. He's like, damn, that's a good idea. Plane crash. I think I'm going to use that. Madeline Pryor Multiple somewhere times. is growing in a test tube. Spoilers. And she's like, oh, I got a bad feeling about these plane rides I'm about to go on. Oh, that's that fun. wasn't good. Um, Isn't she a pilot? That's how they meet. She's a fucking pilot. She's a pilot, yeah. Never crashed a day in her life until she met Scott Summers. And then she crashed like five times. Is that right? She crashed the uh, X-Men we'll Alpha Flight crossover. Man. And she crashed the day she met him. Scott made Madeline crash twice. Yeah. So anyway, the plane's in flames. Um, they have one parachute on the plane. So Scott and Alex's mom, Anne, puts the parachute on Scott and shoves them out the plane. Scott pulls the ripcord. The parachute opens, but flaming debris from the plane lands on the parachute. Parachute catches on fire. They plummet to the ground. Scott gets conked on the head. And at that point, it's believed that he loses the control over his powers that he should have had. And so he's required to wear the Ruby Quartz visor for the rest of his life. Until Joss Whedon fixes that. And then it suddenly goes away. Now it's really gone. Yeah, now it's all kinds of gone. Um, Despair is making Cyclops relive all these moments uh but they're all twisted. The panel looks like an homage to your favorite Neil Adams panel. Yes. Podcasting for two. There is a panel where uh, he decide after Colossus pushes Alex through a wall in, in this uh, mental image that he's having, there's a ton of panels that look like panels from the Neil Adams run, but there's one where he pretty much vaporizes Colossus. It turns out to be a robot. And uh, and then he wastes the rest of the X-Men too, but they come back as kind of these undead things and attack him. Which is super creepy. Super creepy. Yeah, and then Flash, and he wakes up on that that um, that butte in uh, New Mexico where he has the uh, bathing suit encounter with Jean Grey shortly before she becomes Dark Phoenix. And uh, they cut to their wedding, and he fantasizes about her in pretty much every costume she's ever worn, including that bathing suit. It's interesting because she says, what does she say? You've known me in all my incarnations, darling. Which of us did you love the best? And it's Dark Phoenix talking, and he says, I loved you, talking to Dark Phoenix. I thought that was really interesting. Who knows if it's... I mean, it could just be despair twisting his own words. Yeah. But I thought it was just him trying to not get fucked up by Dark Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, because she says if she if he answers wrong, she, 
it will cost him dearly. (laughs) So there's that, I guess. I guess. That's Cyclops just being like, no, you look awesome. You don't look bad at all. Nope. Beautiful as the day I met you. You're probably right. So their wedding ceremony ends with her removing his visor. And unfortunately, he blasts Jean to bits. Yeah, that was pretty sad, actually. Yeah, it was sad, but I'm not going to cry about it. But Scott regains control long enough to throw himself out a high window. And he lands in a very unnatural-looking pose on the ground. He looks dead as dead can be. And up from the ground comes a bubbling crude. Man-thing, that is. And... uh, and uh, he kind of helps Scott wake up, and uh, and then yeah, so Man Thing bursts into Despair's tower and immediately bursts into flames again. He's not very good at this fight. No, pretty but, terrible. But Cyclops comes in behind him, starts blasting Despair. But Man Thing has caught the whole place on fire. Right, <laughs> he's burning that mother down. And uh, Cyclops finally figures out that the key to defeating despair is to not despair. It's to kind of channel his other emotions. And by doing that, despair realizes he can't beat Cyclops, and he becomes afraid, and Man-Thing turns the tables on him. It's pretty awesome. Lights He's despair up. Lifting him up over his head. Yeah. he pull, It's like a it's straight-up Darth Vader throwing the Emperor over yeah. the railing. But Scott and Lee escape. Man Thing just wanders off. Off to face the world with the Sad Hulk music playing. That's right. So, um, oh, I forgot to mention at the beginning, Claremont wrote the issue. Brent Anderson drew the issue. Uh, there is a new regular inker on the issue, and that is Joe Rubenstein, or Joseph Rubenstein, if you prefer, uh, who is in the Guinness Book of World Record for having inked the most characters or the most pencilers, I don't remember. But he inked the entire official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Whoa. That's heavy. Uh, and he will be the regular inker for a while here. Um, he's not my favorite. No. And this, it's unfortunate because it's one of those things where, like, I never want to talk ill of Cochrane. But, like, Cockrum into Burn, and Burn is awesome, and you're like, oh. Yeah, Cockrum, this is not, we're about to get to Cockrum. Oh, yeah. It's not the same. It's not the same as his first run. At all. And it may be that Rubenstein's inks over his pencils are just not up to the task. Yeah. I don't know, but, I mean. It's still good, it's just, there's a definite, I like Burn more. Mm-hmm. Me too. And I had a harder time deciding in the beginning during um, Cockrum's first run, but my it's clear now looking at the the later stuff. That... And by the time we get into the Brood War stuff, I think he's a little more back to his old look. But uh, yeah, the, the stuff we're about to talk about not so great. Yeah. Uh, a couple things at the end in the letters issue. Or the letters column. Claremont, he mentioned that, um, Rubenstein's a regular inker and that he mentions that, uh, Brent Anderson is gonna go on to be the regular penciler on Kazar and that he will return for X-Men Annual Number 5. 
which will be the next time we see him. And we're going to be talking about that with Steve Raker. Next issue! I'm Kenny X-Men number 145. X-Men! So, Sean, you, for a long time, have been asking for a story about Doom being a badass. I still haven't got it. I love these issues of Doom. I like this characterization of Doom. Yeah? This is... uh. This is why Doom is cool to me. Not because he's the ultimate badass. He's not Darkseid or Magneto. What the fuck is a Darkseid? <laughs> he's a Jack Kirby creation and he deserves your respect. Who's Jack Kirby? What the fuck? Why are you being like that? Is that the guy who cleaned up Stanley's office? <laughs> you are on the wrong side of that argument. You need to stop. <laughs> You said we needed to argue, so here That's we go. True. That's true. That's true. I think we we are definitely in different camps on that one. But uh, I think uh, Lee and Kirby were the we the, don't need uh, to go into Claremont and Byrne of their era. They ended up in bitter times, but yeah. but they created magic together. I'm sure everybody out there is like, "Fuck you! You got that backwards." Byrne and Claremont are the Kirby and, and Lee of their time. But, but you were trying for the argument I'm making, yeah. So everybody shut like, up and relax. Yeah. Keep your tweets. <laughs> Nobody ever tweets us. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's okay, we prefer it that way. Just kidding, you should tweet us at GXPod. So issue 145, Dave Cockrum makes his return. And it's the, mostly the regular crew. Except Joe Rosen is the letterer. I don't like that. Yeah. I mean, he does fine and everything, but Tom's my boy. So this opens with a uh, an uneasy alliance between Alicia Keys, I mean, Stevie Hunter, and Kitty as a thank you to Stevie Hunter. Bought her tickets to the ballet at the Lincoln Center. Uh, but she could not go, so she begged Aurora to go in her place. And Aurora's not real happy about it, but she yeah. decided she would go. And here's the good thing. We see the return of Cockrum's Aurora. And I do love the way he draws her. Um, and she's got a really cool uh, twist on her her X-Men costume, just wearing yeah. as, a, as a regular dress. It's badass. Oh, that's really cool looking. But as they're watching from the balcony... Miss Locke, Arcade's right-hand lady, sneaks in, creeps in like he's uh, John Wilkes Booth, about to bust a cap in him. But Storm sees her coming, blasts her with some cold wind, which is not enough to stop her. If only Lincoln had had the power to control the weather. He could control a lot of things, but weather was not one of them. Miss Locke poisons them both to incapacitate them. And then tells Storm this poor sob story that Arcade is now prisoner of none other than Dr. Doom. Because Arcade crossed Dr. Doom by hooking up Toad, who we have not seen in about 15 years in the next book, I think. Uh, Toad has kind of set aside his evil ways, I think. And... Um, he popped up in an issue of Marvel 2-in-1 where Arcade 
had taken Doom's palace in upstate New York, his castle. Uh, Doom has been kicked out of Latveria at this point. <laughs> he, he gave the castle to Toad, and uh, Doom wasn't real happy about yeah. it. So, real interesting ending to that story. I do have to admit, there was part of me that was just like, imagining, because everyone tells me, that like, Dr. Doom's such a badass, and it's like, here he is, like, sweating arcade. Real tough, man. Real tough. <laughs> yeah, why is he sweating arcade? There's gotta be a reason. You would think. Badass like Doom? So she, but she explains that she, uh, kidnapped people that are near and dear to the X-Men. And, uh, I have a question for you, Jerry, since you're a big Colossus guy. Lay it on me. Is that the first time we see Ileana? Yes, sir. I believe so. Okay. I think this is Ileana's first appearance. So he went to Russia and kidnapped her. Yeah. Well, okay, technically it's not her first appearance because she appeared in Giant Size X-Men number one. Okay, but... That's listed as her first official appearance. But she... But this issue, she's here to stay. Okay. Not to spoil the story, everybody, but, um, yeah, in the end, uh, Colossus brings him back with Okay. Brings her back with him. Yes, okay. So this is uh, Colossus' younger sister we're talking about. Yes. She's seven years old at this point, something, somewhere around there, um, and has been in Russia since he left her to come join the X-Men. Yeah. And so Arcade and, and uh, well, Miss Locke has kidnapped the parents of Jean Grey, Moira McTaggart, Candy Southern, Amanda Sefton, and Ileana Rasputin. So you've got Jean's mom and dad, Moira McTaggart, Warren's girlfriend... Nightcrawler's girlfriend and Ileana's sister. Poor Storm and Wolverine don't have anybody. So nobody got kidnapped. It's probably a good thing that they didn't kidnap like Mariko or something. Yes. They would be stabbed in the face. They would. And uh, I think Wolverine almost does stab Doom in the face. That was pretty sweet. Yeah. So basically, Miss Locke says... Storm, if you want to see these people alive again, you better go get the X-Men, and they better go get my guy out of Doctor Doom's castle. Yeah. There we go. So she starts Oh, yeah. So before we go any further, the end of that Marvel 2-in-1 story, I thought was really cool. Uh, Toad gets kicked out of Doom's castle, and uh, Warren Worthington, being the rich man that he is, you know, before he blows all this money on fixing the X-Mansion, he builds a replica of Doom's castle so that Toad can make... <laughs> so that he can make a um, a theme park out of it called Toadland. And they co-own this theme park. Oh and he God. becomes, like, just a regular dude. That's amazing. It I'm is really amazing. I'm disappointed that I didn't read that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the and now I I can't remember what happens between there and oh my god could day. you imagine how different things would be if he had just been like you know what I really dig running this theme park with Toad I'm gonna leave the X Men <laughs> Warren doesn't run things Sean he just pays for them well, the and counts his money as the money like, comes oh, it's rolling so much in. fun and then he wouldn't be Archangel he wouldn't you know. Yeah. If he just stayed at the theme park, man. Never would have found out that Gene came back alive. Spoilers. That's where things really went wrong for him. Yeah. So, 
So Storm's flying around, stopping everywhere, like, to Amanda Sefton's place, just to check and see if, like, Miss Locke is bullshitting her. Clearly she's not, but she shows up at the Grey household, and they have that little, like, whatever it was called that's got Jean's essence in it. The, uh, mate, the, the whole empathic matrix. Yes. Dude. The last panel on page 7 of issue number 145, it's like when Storm is standing there reading the letter, like the, it looks like a picture of Jean and she's smiling, right? But then as she's leaving, like Jean gets total bitch face. Yeah. I wonder if... Like does she... Does her what is going on I don't there? understand. I read this about five times trying to figure out what the storytelling angle was there. Right? I mean, you could interpret this several ways. But... um I mean, Aurora's having regrets like, about what happened to Jean, you know, and, and, uh, you know, she's thinking the X-Men could not save you, Jean, but we will save your parents. And, and so it's like, is she reading that like, motherfucker, you should have tried harder? Yeah. Or is she reading like, motherfucker, if you don't save my parents, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to find a way out of this glass snow globe yeah. and I'm going to kill you. I mean, it could just be like quiet determination. That's true. You know, like, yeah, yeah, you're going to go get them. She looks pissed. But she does look pissed. Whether she's pissed at Aurora or Arcade, we'll leave it up to your imagination. She looks like New X-Men 219 pissed. Yeah. Or whatever yeah. she that was. Walking in pissed. Yeah. Scott, what are you and Emma doing? X-Men! Quick Beast appearance. Yeah. They're really getting the gang back together here. Beast is showing up again. And then in the uh, the title page on this issue, they show, you know, the normal team that we're used to, including Angel. But you also see Iceman, Polaris, and Havoc listed on that mug. Which has got to be pretty exciting for fans of the original team. It is pretty I sweet. Think. Fans of the Neil Adams run, they're like, whoa. Yeah. Getting back to the roots. Dig it. They must have read Greg Busiek's letter. And they were like, shit, we gotta get him back. Yeah. Him and Greg Turner are real pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) So then you've got Havoc, it cuts to, like you see everybody arguing about what they should do. And uh, then it cuts to Havoc and Polaris at their house, using their mutant powers to fix a rock slide that messed up a windmill. Big doings. Professor yeah. X reaches out to him, uh, but it takes a, a heavy physical toll. This was another time where I'm like, just leave them alone, Chuck. They're just trying to live their life. Even Havoc is like, well, guess we'll just get back to this later after we go do some X-Men shit. Was it you that I had this discussion with about Havoc and Scott? About how, you know, who's the better leader or whatever, and, and the difference being that that Alex just never really wanted that life. Yeah. You didn't have that conversation with me. You clearly had that with your other podcast. Well, it wasn't an on podcast. It was, it was, I'm, I was kidding. Shh. Or your other friends. Don't have any of con buddies. Yeah. You would be my con buddy if you'd go to a con mm-hmm. with me. I don't want to touch nerds. Ugh. <laughs> I well, then let go of me right I now. Rub elbows with a cosplayer or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning to love. The cosplay. Yeah? I've had an awakening. Deep within. Was it that female gambit? It was that... Okay, do you remember the Kitty Pride that I tweeted 
pictures of at C2E2? I think so, yes. I saw her again at Motor City in the same costume. Yeah. I was really excited about it. Yeah. She was my favorite at C2E2. And she was probably like, why is that guy leering at me again? I tried not to. I'm sure you did fine. She, You're not a creep. She was awesome. She had, like, the gloves with the big... Did you talk to her? Nah. Creep. <laughs> That's That felt creepy. Talking to her felt creepy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I imagine that that would be weird. Weird. Like, oh, I really... You have no idea how many times I masturbated to the person that you're dressed as. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Never. She's 13 and a half. Not yet. I mean, right now in the comic books, but... I was like 10 when I was reading it. Yeah, so. exactly. So it was so okay. was normal. It was normal. Perfectly... Sh- Tell your boyfriend sh- to shut up. Stegman, go draw some fucking comics. Quit texting Jerry. They are complaining because the Tigers are blowing another lead. Oh my god. You guys pretending to be jacks. Just so you don't get wedgies. What a bunch of losers. Xavier's getting the band back together, basically. He calls up Alex and Lorna from the minor leagues. Calls Bobby Drake back Dude, from college. Bobby Drake looks sweet in college. Look at him. He's drinking ice-cold beers. He's rocking out to kiss while he's studying. I like college Bobby Drake, but he looks like, in the second panel where he's icing up the beers with his hand, uh-huh. he looks like like someone from that time period, like an actor or something, and I couldn't place it. Oh. Just in that one particular panel. Somebody will tell us. <laughs> I like that he's got a dartboard with Ayatollah Khomeini on it. That's, that's topical. Yeah. He looks like... A slightly scruffier Kirk Cameron. <laughs> yeah, he does. So, uh, and then he, lastly, he, he grabs Banshee, who was on a plane. Yeah, they're all living their life, and they're just like, oh, all right, Charles, we'll do it. Banshee was already on his way because Moira had been kidnapped. Yeah. It turns out their purpose is the same. Scott wakes up after being shipwrecked on a desert isle, but his glasses are gone. So he fashions a nice little uh, blindfold for himself. And as Lee Forrester comes running up to him, he pulls the blind man trick, reaching out at chest level toward her as he stalked her boobs. She was all about it, though. She was. She was literally throwing herself at him. So then, basically, Xavier divides up the team, so that one's going to go after. Is that what's happening? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, not really divided so much as he sends Storm in to distract Doom. Yeah. While the rest of the team uh, sneaks in to try to free everybody. One thing I really like about this run is that they're starting to emphasize um, Aurora's blue eyes again. Okay. Those are almost completely forgotten when when Claremont or when Byrne was drawing the book. But uh, they really pop in some of these panels. I like it. Uh, so she kind of uh, announces her her presence with a lightning bolt. It's like, Doom, I'm Storm. What's up? Let's have some dinner. He's like, let me pour you some wine. Meanwhile, the rest of the X-Men break in. And, oh, no, you were right. They did split up. Shit. That's all I right. I got it wrong. I got it wrong. No, yeah, okay. so, so the B-team was tasked with finding the kidnapped people. Yes, exactly. And then the A-team was supposed to go into Doom's Palace for what purpose, I don't know. Yeah. 
Why were they going there? To get Arcade. That's right. They were supposed to free Arcade. I read this. It's hard to come off that Days of Future Past high. <laughs> it is. I mean, this is this is a pretty solid story. No, I actually really, like, you know, Arcade stories aren't exactly my most favorite. Cause, but I've embraced, like, the cheesiness of it and the yeah. hulkiness of it. And so, and plus it was cool, like, kind of in this part, seeing, like, Storm is actually, like, while she's distracting, like, while she's pulling the fucking, I'm going to distract Doom, while everybody else goes in, gets arcade, gets to kidnap people, and we can all get out of here. Like, Aurora actually finds herself enjoying Doom's company. And I think it's the first time that we've, I mean, obviously it's foreshadowing, like, what's about to come. But I think, like, it shows... The we barely ever get to see the regal goddess side of mm-hmm. Aurora, and I think her time with Doom, as weird as this sounds, like it starts to come out like she's a little bit charmed by him, which is mm-hmm. bizarre. They're in a way they're kindred spirits, I think. You know, and not certainly not in their views view but you mean of the more world, like the but power like their station, they, yeah. yeah, yeah, and. uh she, yeah, she is really taken with him. <laughs> and, uh, and it's too bad because he's playing her the whole time. <laughs> yeah, he's watching on video screens underneath the table. He knows that the rest of the X-Men are there. He's watching the fight go down between them and some robots. And, uh, and just as they think they've gotten the best of everything, Arcade comes strolling in and he's like, hi, Storm. And Storm realizes that it, the whole thing is a trap. And she tries to uh, lightning bolt Doom, but you can't lightning bolt Doom? Nope. So he throws this chrome ball at her that strikes her in the arm and slowly, much as in the Matrix, covers her in this silvery substance, turning her into a living statue that he kind of compares to uh, the form that Colossus takes yeah. when he turns to steel, except she's immobile. Completely immobilized. The rest of the X-Men come in and to save her and immediately get fried by laser cannons. Except for Colossus, who, uh, who, who can take that. And he's like, son, you done fucked up. But then Doom just kind of face palms him <laughs> and, and zaps him. Yeah. They got messed up by Doom. They did. X-Men! Now we're at Uncanny X-Men number 146, which has a cover that I immediately thought... Every every arcade cover, man. I'm immediately... I'm sure it's a great cover, but... Nah, I don't think this is a great cover. This is a great cover if you love that B-team. See, these are the guys that you make I, fun of people for liking. But I... But you know there's people out there that are like, What? A cover with Hammock Havoc and Polaris and Iceman and Banshee on it? Like and what is Banshee. Banshee wearing? Yeah. He's wearing like a shield outfit. It's awesome. But I'm with you, I don't I don't think this is the strongest cover ever. Polaris is going back to her Starenko days. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Kyper must have really wanted to draw it. Yeah, yeah. I don't blame him. I met Starenko. Whoa. It was badass. It would have been more badass if you had gotten in a bar fight with him. Not with Storanko, but like... Fighting alongside him? Yes. Back yeah. to back with the Storank. I don't think he's had to fight 
in 40 years because people can just look into his steely eyes and see that they don't that stand a chance. That reputation fucking precedes itself. You see that hair coming and you're like, look the fuck out. This guy's seen some shit. He has. <sighs> I love that dude. I love that ego. I love everything about him. So, cover by Cockerman Rubenstein. Interiors by Cockerman Rubenstein. Uh, written by Claremont again. Basically, Doom stands triumphant over the X-Men. And this is really cool. This is a, a twist on Arcade World, except it's kind of Doom World. Yeah. Like Doom has created challenges for the X-Men, and he's put them to the test. He's given each one their own unique test that they have to figure out. Beginning with Nightcrawler, who he's put in a white cube, white cube room that he can't see out of. No obvious doors in or out. Yep. Doesn't know if he'll, uh, he can't teleport out of it because he doesn't know where it is or what's around him. So he could, you know, find himself teleported inside of solid matter and killing himself so he can't move. Right. Um, Colossus is like in a whirlpool standing on a rock and there's lasers shooting at him from the bottom. Yeah, that one's weird. It but is weird. not as weird as Wolverine's test. Yeah. Wolverine is in a zero G room that's covered with this black and white checkered pattern that makes it impossible to tell where the walls are. It's like a fun house almost. Yeah. And um, anytime he moves, he gets this weird psychedelic light show that makes him nauseous. And then when he bumps into the walls, it pinballs him around the room, which yeah. makes him more nauseous. Angel's got a pretty good one, though. Angel's <laughs> really, he's in a birdcage <laughs> on a perch, and every time he moves, like, tons of lasers go off and shoot at him, so he can't leave the perch. And then they check back with Aurora, who is standing next to Doom and is serving him drinks. What? Serving him drinks? Nope. Turns out that that's a robot. The real Aurora is still a living statue. When you were a kid and you read this, were you like, I still want an Aurora robot? Kinda. You and Ken Lashley. Yeah, buddy. How about that, Ken Lashley, huh? It was good. We haven't really had a chance to talk about it that. It was good. Sorry you couldn't have been there with me. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Where was that at? That was at Motor City Con. Nice. Yeah. I was I was in a car, driving. Hear that. So, Storm, unbeknownst it's... to Doom, though he soon comes to suspect... Well, Storm, he's, he's got her completely covered in that organic chrome... So she's like a statue. But she still has control subconsciously of her powers. And she is unleashing the biggest storm she's ever created probably since, or maybe even including that uh, Alpha Flight issue, 120, well, 121. In nuts. fact, I know it's bigger than that because it stretches all the way to where Scott is shipwrecked yep. in, in the, uh, the, the island's... East of Florida. Yeah, and a lightning bolt almost zaps him, and it knocks Scott over, and he uh, unleashes this optic blast in front of Lee because he can't control it. But she doesn't react to it. No, she's cool with it, man. She, she's like, ooh, you're freaky. I like that. And then you've got the B-team finally going in, so you Banshee, Polaris, Iceman, and Havoc fans, you've got them rushing into Arcade's place to try to capture the uh, kidnapped people, but of course... They're trapped there as well. Shout out for Polaris. She uses her magnetic abilities to suss out Arcade's base, which is pretty sweet. And then Havoc digs through the earth. 
I love this one. In much the same way that Scott did when they were digging into yeah. Magneto's base back in 113. I love that when they get caught and sent on those tubes, they all get sent on rides. And like, <laughs> yeah, so a... we'll mention they get caught. Yeah. And then tubes open up underneath their feet and they fall into these tubes. Go! And they wind up on, you know, everyone has a different ride and stuff like that, but, um, Havoc's is like a, he's not really moving anywhere, but it's messing with his senses. Uh-huh. Which I had that happen to me on the haircut. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it reminded me of when I was watching it was, like, we got on that ride and I was like, does this fucking thing flip us upside down? And Ashley goes, not that I can remember from last year. First thing we did, dude, you're in this bucket and you get flipped upside down and you're face to face with a fucking Dementor. And I'd been driving Whoa. for 18 hours straight, so I was nauseous as shit already because I hadn't had any sleep in like 36 hours. And so it flipped me upside down and I was just like, Ooh, and then that thing pops out and there were fucking <laughs> spiders everywhere. Anyways, so I felt for havoc when I read this. Like I was like, dude, been there. Yeah. Bobby... Bobby gets dropped into an ice rink that has acid underneath the floor. Yes. And then the second that he realizes that there's acid underneath the floor melting the ice, the heat gets turned on in the place. Polaris is on a merry-go-round where the horses come to life and look like demons. Totally sweet. Oh, but she finds Ilyana, and she's like, Hey, I'm a friend. You know me, right? I'm Polaris. And Ilyana turns into the most terrifying-looking yeah. demon. That's what every kid looks like to me, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Oh, yeah, this thing's pretty terrifying. But then Ilyana pulls out a gat and says, Eat hot lead, sucker! Banshee's in an Old West shootout. Yeah, see, Doom is better at this. These tests are terrible. Yeah. Doom, see, already Doom better than Arcade. What more do you need to know? <laughs> He's clearly right. the be- the most badass person on in all of the Marvel universe. So yeah, during the fight, obviously that does, of course, Doom's slightly better than Arcade, just slightly, slightly. In the end, the B team all manages to get back together. They do. Mm. B team winds up getting back together. On that roller coaster. They wind up saving everybody. But they don't actually... They think they do. But then it turns out that they are uh, rigged to explode. They're not real. They're just more robots. Like, all they've been running into is robots. Right. Meanwhile, Havoc sneaks up on Miss Locke. And he... When she turns around and sees him standing there, he's kind of leaned over her computer console. And he's just got kind of his ass sticking up. And he's like... How you doing, baby? Yeah. I'm looking pretty fine, aren't I? That's a definite 90s pose that Havoc was in first before any girls were, so take that. That's right. Yeah. Havoc did it first. I wish that they wouldn't objectify men like this. It's (laughs) disgusting. Why don't they treat men this way? Well, they do. And it's hilarious. It is pretty funny. I want to see more of this, though, Sean, legitimately. I think if they would continue to do this. The smile on his face is fucking <laughs> me I, out, t- I did tweet this from the GX Pod uh, account yesterday, I think, because it's so hilarious, and you guys should try to find that. Yep. The interaction between Doom and Arcade is hilarious because Arcade has no fear of Doom at all. Shows him no respect. Because why should you? Doom hasn't done nothing yet. Well, that's true. That's true. 
Uh, and that brings us to, oh, the end of the issue. The storm's raging outside, and Arcade is cracking up because Nightcrawler has disappeared from his cage. X-Men! That brings us to issue 147 of Uncanny X-Men, and this is a beautiful cover. Yeah, Storm. this cover. This is definitely a Cockrum cover, and Storm is losing her shit. Uh, she is giant compared to the rest of the X-Men. She's engulfed in lightning, and it says Rogue Storm. And I missed this. I've always missed this before, but it says, We did it before, dare we do it again? And that is referring to the events that happen within this issue, which we will get to shortly. The issue is drawn again by Cockrum and Rubenstein. It's a good splash page, Nightcrawler. Yeah, Nightcrawler, not in his cage anymore. Instead, he is two miles above Doom's castle, and is now plummeting back to Earth. He blindly teleported to the only place he knew he was safe. And uh one of the things that I really really loved about this particular like segment with Nightcrawler is the fact that Nightcrawler realizes like I can't just teleport when I get close to the ground because I'll still have the momentum. Right. And it was something that I never really ever gave much thought to, the fact that like yeah, he like and I just thought it was really cool that they addressed that. Mhm. Yeah, I don't remember them discussing yeah. his that's why when I read this, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, yeah. And it would make sense for him, especially if he's falling from that height. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe not everywhere. There's not enough momentum to, like, affect him to where he'd have to think about it. But certainly from that, like, I thought that was pretty cool. And that's something that people complain about, Cocker, or not, they complain about Claremont's writing style, how he's always uber-explaining everything, you I know, every know. issue. I like it. I miss it, I especially the stuff about how their powers work, because you don't always get to see them, and it's nice to have that little recap of what everybody's capable of and what their limitations are. Yeah. Because you never know, every issue is somebody's first. I dig the uh, the panel of him, like, right. he teleports, like, right above, he figures out a way to kind of, like, glide until he can safely teleport down. Right. And, uh, he takes advantage of the storm to yeah. uh, find an updraft. I love panels that, like, show someone falling into water. Like, and you see it, you know? Yeah. Just always dig that stuff. Yep. So then we get a quick recap from Nightcrawler's perspective, which was a pretty good uh, panel layout thing with a weird-haired Nightcrawler. Get to spend a few panels with some of Doom's henchmen. Drinking hot chocolate. Drinking hot chocolate. (laughs) Warming their hands by the fire. (laughs) That's right. I mean, it looks like kind of a good gig. Right? They are the best, as, as Claremont reminds us. Oh, um, NORAD has now been informed about the storm that, that Storm has created while she's encased in this uh, silvery tomb. Yeah. And you see a radar image of the storm. That, that I mean, it looks like one of those massive hurricanes that's wrecked cities. It's covering the entire eastern United States from the Mississippi all the way to the east coast. I feel like this is the first time that we've actually, like seen Storm's power at its, like, what she can actually do. She didn't even know she could do this. And I like the fact that the reason that the storm is happening is not, like, I feel like the way that I read it was it was not something that she wanted to have happen. The storm is happening because she is terrified of where she is because she's claustrophobic. So stuck in that statue, aware of what she is. Like, this is just, this is her power unchecked. 
Right. So her constantly being in control of this, like I think this is really kind of like setting up Storm for um, wore this just for this occasion because nice. she did so good. Yeah, Sean's wearing a really awesome Storm T-shirt. So, um, like, I feel like this is like they're kind of like, hey, like I know that we always talk a big game about Storm and how powerful she is and the fact that she's now leading the X Men. Like, and I feel like this is the first time where it's like, holy shit, I would not want to mess with her, and it's only going to get worse. <clears throat> but this is awesome when one of Doom's guards sees Nightcrawler in the window. Nightcrawler looks scary as shit, <laughs> or like a wet cat. Yeah. Like, it's like a mixture of the, it would scare the shit out of me. Yeah. And so they shoot at the window, he teleports behind him, takes him out, talks about how he's got his second win now, he's all jacked up on the adrenaline from doing that. Yeah. And it cuts to, uh, Colossus. And he launches, he starts thinking about the fact that he's in this whirlpool and how he's gotta get out of it to go help his friends, and he, uh, he rips off a part of the the boulder, that the, the rock mass that he's hanging on to in this whirlpool, and chucks it down the water, realizing that, like, the lasers are kind of tuned to uh, go after something of his size. And so he his realizes, armored size. Because yes. for those of you that don't know, when he becomes armored, he doesn't just turn into steel. He also gets a lot larger and a lot heavier. So he throws a boulder roughly the size of his armored form into the water and the these lasers blast it to shit. And then he throws a smaller one that's more of it, closer to his human size and nothing happens. Yeah. So then he realizes that if he goes down their human form, it's going to mess him up. He's probably not going to make it, but he's got to give it a shot. So he holds, takes a deep breath and heads underwater and manages to just barely escape the gun's and then he armors up and punches a hole through the wall. Angel, meanwhile, just escapes his trap by carefully flying through the lasers. Like it was a danger room. Like he finally right. is like, all right, this is just like a danger room. <laughs> Professor X knew what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, every time he was in the danger room, he was like, when am I going to have to fly between a bunch of lasers? Right? Why am I paying so much for this? <laughs> <laughs> Why am I the only one paying tuition? <laughs> <laughs> then it cuts to Wolverine freaking out, and he's flashing back to the time that he almost murdered the Hudsons. Yeah. This is really pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and they, they really um, paint a picture. They spell it out for you that Wolverine is starting to lose his grip a little bit on his humanity, and he's more and more frequently giving in to the berserker rages that he was experiencing after he went through the Weapon X program. But he also escapes. Goes right after Doom, man. Right after him, but Storm steps in the way. Fake Storm, but he you're not going to fool Wolverine with a robot. Yep. He busts that shit up. Just and, runs right through her. And uh, Doom blasts him. And then this... Up until this point was my favorite panel of this arc. Uh, it is a really good panel. Wolverine kind of sizzling on all fours, and uh, his face and torso are in shadow. It's really cool. Like the, like the the chair behind him is knocked over from when he got blasted, and um, there's debris all over the place. Just a really well laid out panel. I thought. Yeah. Nightcrawler gets a drop on Doom and drops a curtain on him, which is awesome. 
Big Badass Doom punching Wolverine through a sheet like a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so finally Wolverine uh, starts slicing Dyson and uh, gets Doom in a headlock and tells him he's going to put his claws right through his face. Yeah. So Doom releases Aurora, unfortunately. Yeah. Because she has lost her shit. And this is my favorite panel. It kind of mirrors the, the cover where she's, um, she's got kind of a Carol Danvers binary effect around her head. Yeah. And, uh, lightning around her body, which is clad only in a very wispy white thing. There you go, buddy. It's pretty much only in the important places. Yeah, but she, um. It covers her mind. It, <laughs> yes. Thank you. That's what I meant to say. So, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking she's talking, the word balloons, and the way she's talking, I'm thinking she looks and sounds a lot like Dark Phoenix. Yep. And everybody else puts it together really quickly, too. That, And uh, even Wolverine says, not Aurora, not her, too. Kurt, we've got to stop her. They try. They try. Colossus tries talking sense since the two of them are really good friends. That does not work. Doom's like, I will bust you up. She doesn't believe it. Yeah. And uh, finally, I I don't know what causes it, but um, she finally comes to her senses. I think it's um, it's the realization of like when when Colossus basically is oh, like yeah. you know. You've got to, like, you, you know, everything that's inside you is just like the Phoenix. Like, you must win this. She didn't. Like, we can't lose another one. Like, you're our family. We're all family. Like, fucking pull yourself together. And that kind of is what, like, jars her out of it. And But, like, she mentions the fact that, like, Thor can just willy-nilly, like, oh, storm's over. But she has to, like, really rein it in. And it exhausts her. So Warren winds up catching her. And, uh, setting her down. And then in, like, the weirdest twist, because, I don't know, if I was, like, trapped in a statue and, like, almost destroyed my friends with a gale force hurricane, like, I wouldn't just be like, oh, Doom. Oh, didn't realize, like, this weird stuff was going on with Arcade. And he's like, hey. Like, like the Yeah, the X-Men make make Arcade Arcade apologize to Doom. Yes. Which is so... It is so bizarre. I love the ending of this. I love the ending. This is a comic book ending. Doom's like, I would accept an apology. And Storm's like, you heard him apologize. And he goes, no way, bimbo. And uh, he's got the little thundercloud over his head because he's so mad about it. And she goes, Wolverine? And he's like, fine, I'm sorry. And then Doom, being the badass pimp he is, apologizes to Aurora. Didn't see that coming, Sean. I know, I didn't. Like, I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Because he's just like, hey... You guys busted up my house, man. So I was just protecting my home. And Aurora was like, listen, if we leave on good terms, man, this is square one. Clean slate. Clean slate. You're all right in our book, Doom. And not only that, the next move is yours. The ball's in your court. Call me. Weird. So that ends that X-Men's tale. Not yet. But not for one former X-Men. Cyclops wakes up in the morning... And he's probably got some morning wood going on there. Oh my god. <laughs> Too far. <laughs> Why? Because he can feel what must only be an attractive young lady. 
caressing his bare chest as he lays on this desert isle beach. Yep. He and he hears, he hears, morning, sleepyhead. And he replies, morning yourself, Gene. Cue record scratch. But you know what? <laughs> Who's Gene? She didn't seem that bothered by it. Not real bothered. But, she, I mean, she was Lee's, asking the question. Lee has clearly been at sea for far too long. Well, you saw the rest of the crew, Sean. It's true. Slim Pickens. Speaking of Slim, Slim is what she's into and what she wants to be in her. If you know what I mean. But we'll leave that for another time because suddenly, in the not too far distance, a giant purple Kirby-esque Citadel looms. And only one of the two of them can see it. The end! And now, folks, for those of you who don't want to be all spoilerified, you might want to pause it here until you've seen X-Men Days of Future Past, because we are about to bring our favorite guest, Don Far- I'm sorry, Don Cardenas, onto the show. It's going to be really awesome, and we are going to talk X-Men Days of Future Past. So stay tuned. Hey everybody, we're back, and this time we're a threesome. That's right. Sean and I going deep into our boy, Don Cardenas. Don, welcome back to the show. We missed you. Yay. Yeah. You know we who can sense more, that excitement. You know who would have been more enthusiastic? Alan White. <laughs> well, that's, okay. that's not a fair comparison I, now. I need a Don Cardenas, that old bitch. <laughs> 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 yeah. No yeah. one compares to Alan. Come on. Come on. We need that we need that A game because we're about to talk about the best film of twenty fourteen, ladies and gentlemen. Captain America? Ooh, I don't disagree. <laughs> I was trying to put a positive <laughs> spin on this. We're about to talk about the best Marvel mutant movie put out by Fox. In the year of 2014, I'm talking about X-Men Days of Future Past. I liked it more than Captain America. Fuck you guys. You can like it more than Captain America. That's kind cool. Kind of an X-Men podcast that you run and you turncoat piece of shit. An honest one, Sean. An honest one. All right, fair enough. In the end, who knows? I may end up liking it more. I get the feeling I didn't. But I only got to see it one time, unlike you. Wait, you get the feeling that you didn't like it? As much as Captain America. Oh, okay. They're different animals. Right. But the three of us are going to break this motherfucker down, and there will be spoilers. And you should be prepared for that. And if you haven't seen the movie yet and you plan to see it, maybe you want to stop, come back and revisit this after you've seen the movie. Okay, guys, go. What did you think? So you killed it earlier. I killed it earlier? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it went away? Just killed Like you were so close scary. and it went away? Sean was about to go off about something, and I made him wait until we started recording. <laughs> no, it's, I think it's we just... should make him wait a little bit more, though. 
No, no, no. It's I love the movie. Wait, 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 wait. Before you start, you were so excited to to just talk about how great this movie was, and you were about to begin by complaining. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but do it and get it no, out. No, no, get it no, over no. with. Just keep in mind, everybody. Sean is excited to talk about this. Too. I fucking loved it. But it's one of those weird things where, like, I think that my like. I don't know. Hold on, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep interrupting him until it goes crazy. <laughs> no, it's like, the thing that kills me is just like it was so. Everyone was like going into this movie. Everybody was like, "Oh, I don't know, man. X Men Origins Wolverine wasn't that great. The Wolverine was all right. X Men Last Stand was terrible. And this fucking like was amazing. And it kills me that like just like you said, like oh, there's a couple nitpicks I had, dude. When when we were kids, all we wanted was this on screen, right? And they do it, and they do it really fucking well. And what do people start doing? Uh, well, you know. And it's like, motherfucker, there's somebody out there who read Days of Future Past that was like, I can't wait to see this in the movies. And that fucker died. They don't get to see a movie anymore. So you're running around bitching about the fact that, like, Quicksilver had longer hair than he should have. Shut the fuck up. That wasn't Kitty that went back in time. It was Wolverine. Because they want to make fucking money. Like, just... There it is. Like, don't fucking complain about it. Don't complain about it. You're living in a world where you seriously have to fucking decide over which comic book movie is better than the other comic book movie. Like, oh... Who who are the people? See, this is this is my problem. Every time we sit down to talk, you're like mad about something that somebody said on Twitter, and I'm, I'm like, you control who you see no, on no, Twitter. No, no. Like see, nobody I know is complaining about. But see, this that's movie. the thing. Like sometimes everybody loves this. I don't movie. see Sean enough this. on Twitter enough to. You know why? Because Sean's been avoiding this type of shit. But the second I shot up the flare of, like, I really love Days of Future Past. I even loved it more than I liked Avengers. I immediately got, like, well, I saw some negative things about it. Like, I enjoyed the movie, but I saw some negative things about it. And it's like, I don't want to fucking hear it. I'm going to die. And I'm not, I do not, you know what's, fuck it. I'm this close to deleting my Twitter because I don't want to be an old man and dying and being like, I spent so much time on fucking Twitter when I could have been, like, caressing a boob. Yeah. What am I doing with this podcast? I should be out there living life. Jerry's right next to you. He's got boobs. I've got big old boobs. Come on. Right. You'll feel better. Just do it. You'll no, really, really feel better, Sean. I'm not it's fucking touching Jerry. Ask any boy in Comic-Con. <laughs> I was a slut at Comic-Con. Gross. Jerry's got his own table. <laughs> I've got one of those kissing booths at every show I go to. It's great. I, I will I will throw my hat in the ring and say I, I small L loved the movie. I definitely... All my nitpicks are just nerd nitpicks. Like, oh, awesome. We're seeing the Sentinels and... Oh, fi- oh man, Wolverine's gonna fight the Sentinel, and oh, he gets his yeah. bone claw stuck in the Sentinel's arm. Oh, does that make you sad, Don? Your fucking bone claws. I got it. You know man. when that wouldn't have happened? It would have been fine if, if they broke him off or something like that. The best story of all time. No, one thing I am tired of is the movie's portrayal of Wolverine. Like, it's what they do, what they did in the comics in the late '90s. It's like, oh, we just have 
you know, Wolverine, he's a badass. Oh, he gets his ass kicked by everybody all the time. Just because you can show him getting his ass kicked and then he pops right back up five minutes later. I mean, the most damage he did in the whole movie was the Kitty Pride. Oh, low blow. <laughs> Sean, sorry. Sorry. No, it's it's true, though. No, it's, it's true. Honestly, if I did have one nitpick, that was my... And it wasn't like a nitpick where I was like, oh, fuck, I'm so disappointed that they had the bone claws. I was... Like, I really did want to see Wolverine lop the head off of a Sentinel, and not yeah. seeing that was kind of like... It was the same, but I would but equate how do you that, do that? But I would equate that to, like... Not hearing Cap say Avengers Assemble in Avengers. Yeah, like it well, didn't I, I, ruin the movie I'm, for me, I'm but just, it's definitely. I'm just bringing like, small things up to piss off Sean. Yeah. You know, I, I think it happened, man. I'm, know, nine. I'm actually debating seeing the movie again this weekend. I'm obviously going to buy it when it comes out on Blu ray and watch it a million times from there. I mean, there's so many great things about the movie. The interactions between Jackman and Fastbender were this golden. You know, yeah. the, the, oh. that whole plane scene. Okay, before we yeah. jump to the plane scene, can we just talk about the the very beginning? Like, I got... Because the, the thing that I did with this that I hadn't done with it... Like, obviously, I was on vacation when it came out, so I kind of, like, made sure that I just stayed away from my phone while I was on vacation. And so I wasn't, like... I didn't hear anybody's bitching about it. I didn't hear anybody excited about it. I went in totally, like, I did not want... I've been wanting to see this for 20 years. Like, I've been reading X-Men comics for 20 years. I've been wanting to see this forever. Like, so, like, total fucking just... I was in the bubble. And when that opened up, and, like... And, I mean, I went into the theater like a kid. Like, I found a movie theater. It was, like, the only movie theater in the town that I was in in Florida. It was, like, super... The seats were so skinny. Like... This theater was made in, like, the 50s. Like, no one was in there with us because I'm sure everyone knew that there was another theater, like, a mile down the road that was sweet as shit, and it was playing in an IMAX, but there I was. Ate till I got a stomach ache, and when that fucking thing came on, and it was like... It was like the fucking comic book. <laughs> they were stepping on mutant skulls. And the hot pink from Nimrod, like, the, the trim and the fences yeah. that were keeping them, like, penned that was in. Awesome. That was fucking amazing with the Charles Xavier Patrick Stewart voiceover. And then, and I knew I was like, it, I, it thought, I thought it was Colossus's belt buckle. Me too. Like I was like, that yeah. looks like, and I was like, oh my I God. I said that to so my sad. brother. I was like, I think that's Colossus under that. And I problem. warned Ashley, like I was like, just so you know, I'm like, you're probably going to see a lot of people from the other movies die. Like just, this is not the Avengers. Like this ain't Captain America. Like, yeah. They're probably going to get really fucked up. And we knew that going in, but yeah. it was, it didn't make it any easier. Oh, Jesus, dude. It was tough. It was. Yeah, that, that, they bought a, a, a lot of goodwill with that opening scene. Just having a Nimrod's attack and then just showing that this, you know, they really have no, no chance that this is their, the last resort for them. Cause even if you get, even if you get Iceman, who I normally don't really have any opinion about, but seeing him, you know, come in all iced up on an ice slide, I mean, you can't help but just be like, yes. Yeah. And then just yeah. seeing Colossus just getting his ass handed to him by a sentinel. And it's like, this is Colossus. Like, granted, in the movies, they didn't really set up how powerful he is. But, you know, to us, you know, all our backstory of all these comics are just feeding these, these characters. And, you know, it was cool seeing Bishop. You know, I, you know, he was pretty secondary or, if even that, 
But Bishop saved them all countless times. Yeah. He was the one that constantly went back. Yeah, I, you know, that's I, right. And that that was perfectly fine by me. I, I like I like seeing you know him get his power up. It's cool seeing Sunspot. I wish we would have saw Cannonball. Because <laughs> when there's Sunspot, you gotta have Cannonball, but that's fine. Here's my problem. While we're on the subject of Sunspot, that was Sunfire. That wasn't Sunspot. No. Sorry. Is it? I mean, you can call him Sunspot, but that's oh. not fucking Sunspot's power. Yeah. That's Sunfire's power. Well, maybe he was Rainfire. And all you had to do is change four letters in the dude's name, <laughs> and what difference does it make to anybody except a nice thing for the fans? Well, they, I think they kind of dropped the ball on that. Maybe. And that's what I'm talking about with minor nitpicks. Like, yeah. like do the right thing, and it's, it would have been so easy to just make everybody happy. Unless Singer is like the hugest Sunspot fan or something. I really dig Sunspot. But if you're going to have Sunspot in the movie, make him Sunspot. I, Don't make him Sunfire. I think, yeah, I really would have wished they went more towards the the more uh, comic book visual for him with the Kirby dots and stuff like that. But yeah, He was cool as hell, though. Yeah. He, of, of all the guys in there, I liked him and Blink. Oh, yeah. What? I thought... Those two were bad ass. I have to ask, Sean, you've seen the movie a couple of times now. Yep. Did they really like emphasize, you know, Blink with the spikes? Or was cuz it, uh, it to me Did she use them at all? Cuz to oh, yeah, me it kind of looked like she was just kind of gesturing and opening yeah. them cuz my wife Melody came out and she's like, "So what was that girl's power?" And I'm like, I was trying to think if they had the spikes and the, you know, I explained, "Oh, she has these spikes and they open up these portals." She's like, "I didn't remember seeing them." I'm like, you know what, now that I think about it, like, I mean, you gathered that's what she was doing, but, right. I, you know, it was, again, just like Jerry said, it was tiny things, like, again, they might have shown it, I just missed it, and it was like a split-second thing, but, you know, that was, like, the cool thing, like, the, you know, the spikes, and, but they used her power so awesomely, just, oh my god, with the fight scenes, like, I am so glad there's an X-Men movie, finally, with, like, really cool fight scenes, because, yeah. you know, People can shit on The Last Stand, but out of the first three movies, it has the best fight scenes. Absolutely. Um, except for all the, the wire work. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Except <laughs> I didn't like that everybody flew 20 feet into the air when they Yeah, but, but when there's actual mouths. fighting happening, you yeah. know. Like the whole, right. the whole fight in the uh, Jean Grey's house was really, yeah. you know. Oh, that is my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. so there, 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 there were good things. You know, people want to shit on it. The worst X-Men movie is Origins. We all know that. Yeah. We can all agree on that. But the best part is Gambit. Thanks, Don. Uh, I can't wait for Channing Tatum to be Gambit. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Shut up, Sean. It's gonna be, that dude, did you see 21 Jump Street? I did. Oh god. And you don't love him? No, he, I mean, I'm fine with him. I just don't, like, Taylor Kitsch did a fine job. Why not just have him back? Yeah, I don't, I, that's, that, that part I don't get. Like, just, yeah, just have to get him back. Like, just because yeah. Channing Tatum's okay. flavor of the week doesn't well, mean, like, that, who, that's who they wanted he's originally. Fucking good. That's who they wanted originally. Yeah, but dude, that's like, but it's one of those things where it's like, that's where you're making your mistakes. That's why we have Halle Berry. Yeah. <laughs> like, picking the flavor of the week is why you have Halle Berry. And why you don't have, like, another Jackman for, like, Angelica clearly Houston. Marvel is, like, thinking about their decisions when it comes to casting. Oh, but, yeah, I see. But, you know, I feel like with Gambit, they're just like, well, Channing Tatum's popular, let's throw some fucking but, money at him. But it's different because he's good, too. Yeah, alright. Yeah, you but know, then again, I, I think admit, Halle Berry can. I will admit. You know, when G.I. Joe came out, I was in the anti-Tatum crowd. But after 21 Jump Street and uh, a few of those other things, actually we saw, what was it, the movie with uh, Jamie Foxx in the White House? White House, down. Yeah. 
I mean, it was a stupid movie, but it was entertaining. Yeah. You know, he bought a lot of goodwill with me in so much that, you know, they said him as Gambit. I'm like, well, I have really, I'm really ambivalent towards Gambit, but I'm like, Channing Tatum, all right, let's see how this goes. You know, cause, cause then all I can think about is the comics of my youth of Gambit and Wolverine together, dicking around, doing stuff. And I'm like, I could be down with Jackman Tatum, you know, palling around for a while. Yeah. I mean, I see that, but I, I guess, like, I look at it, I'm looking at it from the perspective of, like... Continuity? Not even that. Uh, Magic Mike. They're, they're, <laughs> like, like they're trying to go for the, the cash grab of, like, we're getting chicks into Gambit, and that's gonna be where we, you know... Well, they did that with the second G.I. Joe. Like, yeah. he was in it for, like, minutes. And then, you could, you know, there's obvious scenes where they added more Channing Tatum in before they killed him off. Listen, I'm still pissed that they didn't make Michael Bain Cyclops. Listen, man, we're all we're all pissed. Clancy Brown wasn't Sabretooth. That's exactly right. You know, I don't know anything about any of this. Uh, it was like a Wizard yeah. magazine, like oh, okay, uh, who they would have cast back in the '90s. The only one they got right was Professor X. Yeah, well, duh. The, who's the only bald guy in Hollywood? Yeah. Right. But I, you guys, everybody, see, this is another thing. Like everybody keeps on talking about Blank, just like they do in the comics. Dude, that was sweet. Listen, that was sweet, but Warpath fucking stole the show in that scene. Oh, hell yeah, he was sweet. When he faced down that fucking Sentinel and pulled out the knife and lunged at it, didn't like cower in fear, but was like, fuck it, if I'm going down, at least I'm going down like a dude. I was like, that's fucking Wolverine moment there, boss. That's how the proud stars roll, bitches. Hell yeah. Little uh, Boo Boo Stewart did a good job. He did? He did. He, I mean, I, at first I was like, man, he's not big enough to be Warpath. Because, you know, Warpath's, like, huge. But, he did but awesome. you know, he, he carried the attitude, and he he did it. I liked, you know, exactly like Sean said, you know, he, he went out like a Proud Star. And his second death. Those Proud Stars <laughs> really like to go out unnecessarily. <laughs> I mean, he got, got, like, slow motion pushed into the beam, and his oh. face melted off. What Dude. Fuck. So we have to watch him die the at the beginning, and it was tough. Yeah. But the second time Oof. at the end, they really cranked it up. They were like, you guys are going to suffer through this one. Like, it's all going to be in slow motion. <laughs> you're going to watch them die. You're going to know what's coming. You're going to know there's no way out. I, I need to know Sean's so, feelings on when Storm gets killed. I was fucking bummed, dude, because it's like, it wasn't even that, like, I I knew the spear was coming because in the trailer yeah, you, you see, see yeah. that. Yeah. So I knew it was coming. What got me was when he just nonchalantly tossed her off exactly. the side. Exactly. And yeah. you could see the other sentinels climbing up the wall. And I was yeah. like, everybody's dead. And then, like, seriously, like, I was like, run, guys, run. Like, everyone yeah. fucking run. And when they opened the portal and let Magneto go through. Yeah. yeah. And And the other thing, too, like, I, I was talking to Ashley after we saw it. I'm like, imagine being, like, Kitty Pride and Bobby. Like, when you get, when you're Bobby Drake and you get up and you know that Magneto's dying and that this is it, you're the last, Bobby Drake, last X-Man, right? Yeah. Yeah. When he looks at her like, that's it. That's the last time I'm ever going to fucking see you again. No goodbyes. Just, just like, just you gotta look. keep doing that and like, yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm trying to buy you more time. Hopefully this works. And if it does, I'll see ya. Yeah. And like, you knew, like, could you, like, I'm like, I don't know if I could fucking walk to my death. Like, knowing that... It, you know what I'm saying? Like... I think you could. Fucking probably. 
I think he could. Balls on those guys. Yeah. Well, that's, this is what, this, the one thing that Sean and I did talk about before this recording was that, um, they, so every time they run into this situation, uh, she sends Bishop back and they're safe again. But despite that happening, it's like nothing ever happened except they live through every single one of these deaths. And they go back knowing that they died they? and that they're gonna die again. Do yeah. I mean, well, at least Bishop knows. Bishop, the only Bishop one knows. No one else remembers. I thought that's how it goes. Bishop knows. And Bishop really doesn't see all his buddies getting killed all the time because they're stashed away. Right. He just knows. And well, even if they don't remember it, it's happening every single time. They, these guys have experienced death countless times. But like the way that like, I mean, they pulled Colossus apart. That was fucking heartbreaking. Oh, that was rough. And that was the worst. And like, one. I, I was like, when Warpath they, was the when they did that, I was like, time. holy shit, that's really bad. I'm like, I can't get any worse than that. When they lopped off Sunspot's arm and he still was like, nope, going <laughs> at it. Yeah, I was like, Fuck. yeah, I don't know how how they'll swing it, but if they can swing an, an X Force movie with that Sunspot, that Warpath. Yeah. I'd, I'd be, I'd be there first day. Did you guys see uh, someone Photoshop John Hamm as Cable? Oh. oh, it looks so awesome! It's like, oh no, sh- yes, this flavor of the week, Sean. John Hamm John is Hamm. awesome. Awesome. There's a fucking difference between John <laughs> Hamm and Channing Tatum. You piece of shit. They're both awesome. Come on. What is your obsession with Channing Tatum? It's fucking awesome. 21 Jump Street is I my obsession. I think Jerry's got a comics crush on a dude <laughs> that's about to be in a comic movie. He's awesome. Well, technically, G.I. Joe was already... Was oh, let's all complain it. about a movie we haven't even seen, Sean. Hey. That's what we do, Jerry. It's what we do. I, I'm just saying that I'm not super pumped up about... I'm not saying that I'm like, fuck, I'm not going to see it. This movie's <laughs> going to be a pile of shit. I'm just like, I don't understand really. Here's, like, here's, here's what it is. Had a dude that did a pretty good job. Here's what it is, Jerry. Gambit mm. is Sean's guy. And he got yeah. he got a version of him where he's like, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be the comic. But I'm cool with this. And now they've taken that away and they're bringing in an unknown quantity that well, we all thought that Quicksilver was going to be absolute garbage, and look how that it was. A, probably one of the probably the best, if not the second best scene in the entire movie. Guys, Quicksilver, awesome, so good. I I, fucking I, loved it. I will go on record. So good. Unless someone can pull my Twitter feed and prove me wrong, I never complained about his outfit. I didn't either because they're like it's in the seventies, and like oh, he's a punk kid in the seventies. He's going to dress like an idiot. You know, we'll see how how it looks, and then you know. I saw a few blurbs before the movie saying like, oh, Quicksilver steals the show. And I'm like, oh, we'll see. And, you know, just even going in expecting, okay, what's this Quicksilver thing about? And it was, you know, freaking awesome. You know, and I'm not even a huge, you know, Evan Peters fan. I don't know this actor. He's, he's, been, he's been on a few seasons of uh, American Horror Story. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, Which I need and to he, like... Not the second season, just the first <laughs> I heard the third one's good too. So. Uh, oh, the which one? I don't yeah. know. The first I one's the, I watched the, the first one's the best one. Okay. First one's really good. But uh, you know, I, he wasn't wowing me as as a choice, but he he proved me wrong. He he nailed it. Like I want to see that Quicksilver again. I really hope they bring him back for uh, the next movie. And I like the fact that it was like 
he was like Peter David's, like you know the issue yeah. where. Well, I, I, I even, I even, I told somebody that I see this Quicksilver being the annoyed, arrogant, older version that Peter David wrote. Like, I see this kid growing up into that. Well, it's just because I feel like every, like people tend to forget that, like that's why I love that X Factor issue so much. Which is like, I'm trying to think of what issue it is. Like, it's the one after Executioner's song. Yeah. So it's got to be in like the late seventies, where I think like his mind is going so fast that that's why he's kind of like all over the place it's just like every part of that dude is um going so fast i also heard an interesting theory about the fact that like the reason why later on in the movie when you see him holding the baby girl that it probably is wanda but perhaps because um quicksilver moves so fast that he's actually aging no faster i actually read that there's a deleted scene where they mention an uh an older sister Okay. So everyone's like, that's supposed to be Scarlet Witch's little girl. And it's like, no, it's it's not. I, okay. I don't know if the credits at the end of the film tag her as that, but... Are they supposed to be twins? Um, I don't remember I, that. Yeah, so it's twins. I just remember. twins. But something about the little girl mentions something about her older sister's always doing something. Hmm. And that X-Factor issue is X-Factor 71. Nice. All right, so early 70s. Yeah. It's a good issue. Yeah. I liked the fact that you saw a junkie, Xavier. Yes! Yeah, I, I mean, I, he was injecting a cure, but he sure was acting they, like a heroin Yeah, they, oh, they, was, they definitely... Uh, there was other drug paraphernalia. Did you catch the huge doobie in the ashtray? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was pretty awesome. Yep. He really let himself go. That was awesome. I actually, uh, you know, I know that, because this is the thing, as I always different, like, I don't, I try not to nitpick these types of things, because I try to look at them as though they're going to be different, because they are, and so when they're more aligned, I'm pleasantly surprised, but I like the fact that I'm basically seeing, like, an alternate version, because I like the relationship between Charles and Beast more in the movies now Yes. Than I do in the actual comics. I like the fact that Beast basically started the school with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that the one that he was taking care of him. Like I really like that aspect yeah. of it, and it makes like him sticking around. Like in the, I look at the comics, and I'm like, it makes so much more sense now for you to be doing what you're doing in the comics with bringing the original five back and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you did have this relationship with Xavier, mm-hmm. you know. You know, and I can, and it's one of those things where it's like everything that I might have thought, like when, initially, that I might have thought I would have had a nitpick about, I didn't give a shit about because I had so much fun. Like I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want the beast to be the Hulk and be able to just change into it, but it was like they gave me an explanation where I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll buy it. That, and and based on our knowledge of Beast, that's that's as plausible as uh, an image inducer. Yeah, you know? completely different than the six one six universe, anyway. So the, yeah, the same to apply. Well, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense for him to do that. I love the way that Fox manipulated the shit out of us with that trailer. The trailer shows Professor X walking around, Beast is human again, no explanation, right. and you, and you're just like, what the fuck is going well, on? How could news. this be? You know, and and then. The explanation you get is just so simple, but so different from where my mind went. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, they must have, he, they must have Wolverine back to a, a time period where it changes the events of, 
um, first class. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was the only thing I could come up with, but nope, it was a lot easier than that and yeah. better. I will say this on their decision to use Wolverine instead of Kitty is one obvious, you know, Wolverine is the star of the franchise. Yeah, I mean, if had Kitty been more prominent in, in earlier films, I'm sure they probably would have, you know, it would have been a different situation. But also, if you think about it, you know, in terms of the arcs of the characters, you know, it's them saving Wolverine in the first movie. And right. now on this, you know, revitalization they're trying to do, it's him going back and saving Charles. Oh, nice, Don. So, oh, yeah, that's exactly like, that's perfect. You know, so it, it's got to be, it's got to be that flip. You know, I like, you know, if you would have told me though, like, there's going to be an X, there's going to be like a bunch of X-Men movies in the next decade and a half. And at the end of the last one, it's going to be pretty clear Mystique is going to be the star of the franchise. <laughs> what do you think? I'm like, what? Because <laughs> it's clear, you know, and you could t- you chalk that up to Jennifer Lawrence being, you know, like more popular than anybody. But it's a Channing Tatum for females. But on the she on kicked the, ass. On the, she did no. On I'm, the flip side of it, on the flip side of it, the way they play her is like it's fine, you know. And you know, her saving Wolverine at the end. You know, I'm like, they had me. Like when they had, so that, when they had Striker pulling Wolverine out of the water in the end, I was like, okay, that's how he's gonna get his adamantium. You know, they're gonna, you know, do it earlier or whatever. And then yeah. they flashed her eyes, and I'm like, oh, how are they gonna do it? And then what does it mean? And, and my first thought was, they better fucking do it. I know. He's well, stuck here's, here's, with these bone claws here's what forever. I and many other people think Apocalypse is gonna do it. Yeah. Oh. You know, they're going to jump into the Wolverine being one of the horsemen. So we are oh, correct okay. in the fact that every movie doesn't count now except for first yeah, class. That's, and that's the Beach funniest Bates. thing, too. Everyone's like, oh, X3 doesn't count. I'm like, none of the movies count now. Yeah. You're happy because X3 doesn't count. That's fine. But all of them are bullshit now. So yeah. let's let them go on. I almost wish they didn't show you the changed future. But I realized they had to just for uh, for one. Okay, John Byrne. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I wanted I, at that point I wanted it to be like just you know open ended. Yeah, but think clear. about what they get. What to a do. curtain call, though, man! That was a fantastic curtain. But that's call. the point. Like with ending it that way, you get the entire original cast to take a fucking bow because that was the. I can't, say, I can't say I didn't like it. I'm just saying I kind of yeah. almost wish they didn't do that. No, I understand. You know, there's, there's always, there's always a part of me where I, I can't help but think on things like, would I have done that? You know, what happens if they would have done this? You know, we all loved seeing everyone come back, even Cyclops. You know, it was nice seeing Kitty and, uh, Colossus teaching an architecture class together. You know, mm-hmm. Rogue back for the two seconds, Fraser Beast. <laughs> that one I could have done without. <laughs> but you gotta bring everybody back, so. I'm You're not okay a fan of Fraser Beast? No. Oh. I liked him. No. What's with Jerry, Sean? He just I hates know. joy. No. Just not Frasier. X3, man. I watched Frasier religiously. It, and I, it did seem like the obvious choice for that character, but uh, he looked like a guy in face paint. I will say this one last thing about X3 on this podcast. People need to stop giving Brett Ratner shit about it, because... He picked up the 
But no, it's the blame. The blame does not lie solely on him. If anything, it's the fact that Brian Singer left to go direct that piece of shit Superman Returns. Yes, thank you. Because then they fast tracked X three to meet to go head to head that summer with Superman Returns. They, there was a and Superman movie that came out that summer. What's Superman? <laughs> well, it had Superman in the title. I don't know if it's super. Well, I don't think there's been a Superman in theaters for thirty years. So, oh, doesn't matter. As far as we're concerned, those don't exist. I don't know what those are. I, I, the the ending. Like I understand the the wanting, um, the ambiguous ending to know whether it happened. But the way that they. I think the way that I looked at it was um, you got to have everyone say goodbye, including Jackman, if they choose it. Yeah. Because you now have an alive Cyclops. So the gripes from the first movie and first class of like, well, now he's so much younger than Havoc can be gone because you can find a younger Cyclops in the 70s. You can find a younger Storm. Mm -hmm. Like They can recast everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah, awesome, and they should. Yeah, yeah. Even I mean, I, I totally get it. Like having that button at the end of it because it gets to close the original movie chapter. Because I know how. Yeah. Ev- because everybody's like, "Oh, well, that's apocalypse." It's like we don't know that could. Like clearly, that's apocalypse way in the past. Yeah. So apocalypse could pop up and pull the age of apocalypse shit in 1975. I just wonder though, are they going to go right into another alternate? thing i mean I, I would be i would be perfectly fine if they set it up you know that way i was sure that when this movie ended he was going to wake up in the age of apocalypse like it was going to be out of the frying pan and into the fire that, like that was the future that he, oh, that he created man, i almost would by going back i was sure that was going to happen i almost would have preferred that more it would have been really sweet. You could still have all the other X-Men still alive, but they're not the same. But changed. Yeah. Yeah, but you need that moment of them. You do. Like the hope. You well, need that, to that's the up. thing. That you we, we can yeah. get lost in the possibilities here because. Because there's no, dude, find me one X-Men movie that ended on a positive note. None of them. Like they were all downer endings. First movie, like Magneto's fucked up, like. People still hate mutants, you know? At the end of the second one, Gene dies. At the end of the third, Gene dies again. <laughs> At the end of War Origins Wolverine, Wolverine doesn't remember anything. Yeah. You know, at the end of the Wolverine, like, he's still fucked up and like well, no, that, Gene's well, still one, Gene's still dead. Well mm-hmm. I think the Wolverine ended the most hopeful out of that group you just True. mentioned. Mm-hmm. Except that his claws got cut off. Yeah, yeah. and that, that too, <laughs> and it ended with the the teaser of like Xavier alive and Magneto going, "We need your help." Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I was pretty happy that there was like a put a ribbon on it. Yeah, I really liked the ending too. I really did. Because if it, it, dude, I because I just did think you that, was like your heart in your throat oh at my. the ending. Were you like, how is it going to end? How what are they going to do? Because I was fearful was so of nervous. like the the Age of Apocalypse thing too, just because I was like it would obviously from a storytelling point make sense, but I think it would have your average audience that has no idea who the fuck Apocalypse is yeah. would have been like, 
Well, this sucks. Like, you want the Back to the Future ending of, like, hey, man, everything's cool, but now that we've opened this door, it can happen again. That's probably the one thing my brain keeps going back to is why I probably, you know, didn't wish a little bit that it, they did that is what happened, everything before. It's like, okay, everything turns out great. So if you're going to tell stories after, you know, earlier on in the timeline, it's like, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I could say whatever, it doesn't matter, you know, things Listen. things can change, but I'm just saying that's why my brain keeps doing that. Hmm. His... I, I liked seeing everybody at the end. I liked them giving it a send off. I think they ended it, you know, perfectly with, you know, Wolverine and Xavier getting ready to sit down and chat. I would, you know it, I think I thought it would have been funny if they you know, he was the headmaster. Wolverine? Yeah. Hmm. Nobody would get that joke except Comic. No, no, ex- exactly. So it's just one of those things. As you know, the insiders were like, "Ah, I will say one thing though." Pretty much the whole theater I was in waited to the end, and when you just see the pyramid moving and getting formed, there are guys there I knew like they didn't know, and th- the sounds they were making was literal brain melting. <laughs> like, oh my, what is this? What's going on? And then they show the kid with the blue face. He's like, like, who the fuck was that? <laughs> it's like, well, oh, guys. It's possible I would have had that reaction, except I recognized the name that was being chanted. I didn't, I, didn't, I, I was not surprised because Chris Mewis spoiled the fucking ending for me Chris. the day before I saw it. I don't know this guy. What a dick. Dick. Michigan guy. He's supposed to be on our teams. Sean, what the fuck happened? And Don, to you give you your Chris alone. To give you your bleak future, perhaps that pyramid that he was building back then was a celestial ship and he realizes that they've altered the timeline, goes back before Wolverine gets there, kills Xavier, thus creating the age of apocalypse for the next movie. Boom. Lawyered. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch it. So whatever. we still get our happy ending in the first movie, but then you can carry on from there. Yeah. They can do whatever they want at this point. I'm, I'm, they, you know, they got, they, I, they got a ticket from me. That's for sure. So well, Singer's I, still on for the next one? Oh, uh, that's the plan. Yeah. Unless DC comes calling? Uh, no, unless it's a jail. All we got to talk about is the fact that when Fastbender broke the helmet out, that was awesome. He was, he was wearing a sweet fucking outfit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The glasses, the hat. You definitely saw the Ian McKellen Magneto in, in that, in that swagger he had there. Yeah. It was awesome. Fastbender just did, you know, he does a great Magneto. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, he seems to be content, you know, coming back to that character. You know what though? Going back to your airplane scene when he's going off on Charles because Charles abandoned them. I did not see that coming and I was, no. it, I was like, whoa, Charles, Charles. Well, what really <laughs> bummed me out was I was like, why does fucking Banshee have to get jobbed in every fucking universe? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. That went did way show too picture? fast for me. When they, they were flipping through the files? No. I didn't see him. I, I well, saw I saw Azazel, I saw Angel, and... I couldn't tell who was who, man. I honestly couldn't tell who any of those people were. But Magneto specifically said Banshee. Yeah, yeah, that about. I remember. Like, when know, he mentioned names, I was like, oh, why would Professor X give two fucks about Azazel? Yeah. Well, who killed, like, well, half his... Mutants and, 
you know, that was the... I I promise you, he did not lose any sleep over that. Well, I'm yeah. sure he didn't, but that doesn't... Poor choice. That doesn't, <laughs> uh, that doesn't negate uh, Magneto's point. That I did like the fact that Magneto no, no, also mentioned true. Emma Frost. Hello, bitch! Yeah. So I was like, way to get rid of Jan- January Jones. Oh, she... I don't, I don't remember him mentioning Emma Frost her. Too. Yeah, I don't, like, that's the thing, is I, everything, because when it was like, well, I wonder how, I mean, the only question that they didn't answer was, how was Xavier alive? And I just don't give a shit. No. Like, I don't need an answer, because I'm like, fucking comics. How was Xavier alive? Because he was dead at the end of three, and he trans, he put his mind oh, into that I see, other like, body. that it was never explained. Yeah. Like, how he's in his body again? Yeah. yeah. Somebody proposed that, uh, he it was just a mental projection. Hmm. See, there you go. It doesn't make sense, though. Why not? Then, how? Why would it matter? Well, no, in the future, then why would why would it matter if he got hurt or not? If he was a mental projection, unless you're talking about the Xavier that got destroyed. Well, I mean, I was just like that. He was still in a body, but he was mentally making everybody see his original body. Oh, I see. But old and decrepit, well, instead of keeping himself looking young. At the end of X three. The body that he was supposedly transferred his mind into, uh-huh. it was it was Patrick Stewart, and in the commentary, the director mentions that oh, it's you know we're going to set it up as his twin brother, even though there's no mention of his twin brother in X, you know, first class or whatever, anything like that. So that's right. There was it, a twin it, sister. It definitely, in it definitely falls into the point of like who who the fuck cares? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, like I said, that was the only. Why is Wolverine got great temples, but everyone's only a couple years older? Who cares? Doesn't matter. Is it is it finally time for my nitpick? Can I throw out my nitpick? Go ahead, What's Jerry. Fucking Jerry. Kitty Pride's powers. Oh my god, Jerry. Seriously? Well, here's why. She replaced one of my favorite characters that who has played a critical role in the original Days of Future Past is Rachel Summers. Well that wouldn't have happened anyway, because Cyclops was dead. And Jean was dead twice. Well, I mean it's the movies. You can do whatever you want. She could have been Rachel Smith. I thought it was telepath. Cool. You, you thought it was cool. I did. Secondary mutation, Grant Morrison style. I don't know. It just felt know. like it just it didn't even seem like a. It just seemed like it gave her something important to do. She wouldn't have had a role otherwise. I think that's the only reason. I mean, it. at at it's not the first time like a, a different. You guys are really of- bumming me out. I was really pumped up about this, but you guys are like... Hey, hey, man, it's still an awesome movie. I just... You add Warpath to the movie, you add Sunspot to the movie, you add Blink to the movie. Why can't you add Rachel Gray, who was in the fucking comic? That's all. I'm just I'm just asking, like, why why couldn't you just have her in there? Because Cyclops was dead and Jean was dead. Well, Professor seemed, X was fucking dead. It seemed unnecessary. Though. You didn't have to explain And you just said character. it doesn't matter. But Xavier... But you have to explain like, this, this new character... Coming in, They're that's going to play a new characters. Bishop was a new character. But None yeah, but Bishop were... wasn't the one sending them back in time. They were in the movie it, for five had, minutes. If it had very specifically been Rachel Summers, that would have been a hurdle that they could not explain. Xavier, you can at least explain with the, uh, it's just a fucking astral projection of his mind into everybody else. Bishop sent them all back in time every, and they, I mean, he just said, well, Bishop sent them back in time. It's not a big deal. It wouldn't have been difficult. Bishops? What do you mean, bishops? Or K- Kitty was well, and, and, using bishop look to go at, back Look at it time. this way, too, Jerry. With without Kitty being that person, you wouldn't get that scene with Iceman that you like, where he looks back at her. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they they didn't have that was the only reason they could come up with to put her in the movie was to have her do Rachel's role. That's what I'm thinking. Like they couldn't come up with something else cool for her to do because they sent Wolverine back in time. And like I said, it's a nitpick. I just think it wouldn't have been difficult. To I know Jerry was giving you a hard time. Because Jerry. she's in the comic, and she's one of my favorite characters. I would have liked to have seen her in it since she was in the story. Well, I hope they don't cast Channing Tatum. <laughs> No, Sean, we're not trying to bum you out. The movie was awesome. It was awesome. It was really good. I think we all agree on that. We do. What's left? What haven't... Oh, so... Okay, so when I was watching the movie and the whole Wolverine giving a soliloquy to Professor X to save the future, um, I my head was not at where you're talking about, where, you know, the complete... Completing the circle of, you know, Professor X saved him and then he saves Professor X. That's not where I was at. I was like, wow, there's all this shit kicking going on. And all of a sudden, there's this 10-minute speech that I could never see Wolverine ever giving. And um, it just kind of, it was a buzzkill for me. In the moment. In the moment. But now that you've said that, like, it's cooler to me. But I think it's um, poorly timed as far as pacing for the movie goes. I think I, I think it has to happen, but I think I think it probably might, it might seem that way because everyone was just at that point in the movie, everyone's like, "Get to the Sentinels, get to the Sentinels," and no, I I, I thought like I I thought the scene was perfectly placed in there. Well, it does add to the tension because everything's going to shit around them. Yeah, you know, everything's going wrong, and Wolverine's like a man of action is like talking it out. You know, it's like Wolverine. Well, even you gotta move fast, that man. He's, he's like, hey. Well, he admits like man. he's not the guy to do it. Right, right. No, no, no. So no, then he I goes. Understand. For, but he I understand, but that that adds to the tension because he's not moving as fast as he needs to be moving to save things, because he's get, he can't do what he would normally do, which is cut a guy in half. He's got to like talk it out his feelings, which isn't his strong suit. You know. So. But they explain too that if he goes nuts, that. It's going to rip him out of that time period. Right. Right. So he's kind of got to stay calm. He's got to be Charles Xavier. Yeah. 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 But at the time I was bored. But now I'd feel differently about it. You've brought me around. Now I see the, the smart side of it. Why it's I love good. the fact that Hank was smart enough to inject himself with all that serum. Yeah. When the Sentinel was staring at him so that it locked yeah. on the Magneto and Mystique. Yeah, that was pretty cool. The tough thing for me, though, was like, because obviously, like, my girlfriend Ashley doesn't read comics. So, like, when we left, she was like, oh, because I was, I had the same thought that Jerry and you did, uh, Don, about, like, well, shit, if Stryker's Mystique, he probably isn't going to have the adamantium. And I was kind of bummed about that. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, maybe she would. Like, maybe she could somehow brainwash him and convince him to be her fucking murdering, you know, clawed psychopath. Right. But Ashley was like, she seemed nice at the end. I'm just like, I'm like trying to like do the thing where I'm like, oh, like, I love you, sweetie, but she's a psychopath and she's supposed to be a psychopath. But, and that's kind of my problem going back. Like when, when people, when, when characters are cast that, that people, not even like, not even fans of the comic books, but just your average movie going audience right now loves Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. So they're doing the 
comic book cliche thing of like, let's make Venom a good guy. Let's make Juggernaut a good guy. Let's make Sabretooth a good guy. Mm-hmm. Like, when they go down that road, it's like, I don't want Mystique to be a good guy. But I do in, like, I really liked... I can't complain about it because I love the way that they handled it in the movie. Mm-hmm. But there's still that comic book part of me that's like, well, I don't totally trust her, so what does this mean? Well, then it, Where it, for her, like, watching the movie, she was just like, oh, that was really nice that Mystique saved him. Like, yay! Yeah. I'm so happy for that. Well, well yeah. in the books, though, wasn't she part of a, a government-sanctioned group for a while? Freedom Force? Yeah, Freedom. yeah there you go. Right. You know, they, yeah. they, they could definitely make a call to that, considering she's the one who saved, you know, the president. Right. It's possible. Oh, that would be interesting, yeah. What? So it's not out of the realm of possibility, but it's definitely one of the things where I was like, I mean, cause cause I we're, know so, that- we're so used to Mis- Mystique being like just a ruthless villain in the right. past. You know, she's best. And they're talking about years or so, you know, to, to have the almost opposite of the character in the movies. It seems like a, a jarring shift, but it, it's been there. You know, it, there's precedent, I think. If you're asking me to guess whether she's making that heel turn back to evil again or not, I'm guessing she is going to be evil again because the thing they kept hinting at in the movie and they kept steering the story towards was that um, people and the future are immutable and despite our wishes... Um, we can't change the future. Like, no matter what we try to do, we can't change it. And it seemed like the movie was going in that direction until the very end. You know, yeah. like, every time it seemed like they were close to fixing things, uh, the future had a way of correcting itself back to its original path. You know, and people kind yeah. of did, too. Like, Magneto. You know, it seemed like... That, that was like a really quick turn. It was for, really for sad him. and disappointing. And at at the time I was watching and I was like, I'm like, oh, that was sudden. That seems just really kind of forced. But then as you think about it, it's like, no, that's that's him. Yeah, you know, that's that's him that thinking cool. black and white. That's Nazi hunter Magneto coming back out again, saying, no, she's the problem. She's got to die. And the way he cast Logan off at the end too was yeah. so heartless. Oh, yeah. holy shit! Speaking of that scene, did you like have the moment where you were like, holy shit? It's the reverse of X-Men 25. It was like <laughs> yeah. just as brutal. Yes. When they were like, when he was like pushing it into him, I'm like, fuck man, like that's exactly what that would look like. That was fucked up. I didn't put that together, but yeah. Like, what ugh. if he, what if that had been the way that he, he got that's, his animation? Honestly, that's what I thought they were gonna do. Rebarine? Did you? I didn't. Was it not even that it would be the rebar thing, yeah. but I thought maybe in the, in the, when I saw the trailer, like, I was like, well, maybe Magneto does it. Like, I was like, maybe it's just, maybe it's not adamantium, but maybe it's metal. Yeah. I don't know. Missed opportunity, maybe, but damn, that was cruel and heartless and... Yeah, that was... That I still was don't know how harsh. he survived that shit. Any of it. Yeah. Well, his body was younger. And he wasn't fighting off the adamantium. That's, they never mention that in the movie, do they? No, Adam, no, that, that's, that's the insider baseball stuff. They've never mentioned it. Before, okay. at oh. the end of X two, when he's fighting uh, Deathstrike, I don't think does so. that come up? No, there's a sweet Blu-ray box set already up for sale <laughs> on Amazon that has really? the Magneto prop helmet. Yeah, I I can say that honestly, I've never loved Beast more than I do in the movies, and that includes well, that's hard the to... Last Stand. Hmm. 
Hmm. I didn't like the way that he looked in The Last Stand, <laughs> but I liked the fact that they made him a fighter in that. Oh, I just thought it looked cool. I hope that, here's my only thing is like, I hope now that they've course corrected everything that they don't rush out of the seventies. I well, hope they you're stay. To, you're supposed to do another jump, I think, to like the eighties. I would love it. Guys, come on. You love the nineties. The eighties are my. All right. Thing. I'll give it to you. You got to do one of the eighties. It's just, man. It's, I just hope I that think, they don't. I, I just think, with I, that skunk hairdo. I, I think they're, they uh, I think they're rushing into apocalypse too soon though. Yes. Unless he's, I, if I they're like calling this. it Age of Apocalypse because he's in it and not because they're going into the Age of Apocalypse, I'm okay with that. Well, really no, no, they're not calling it Age of, just calling it Apocalypse. It's not okay. Age of Apocalypse. It's X-Men Apocalypse. Oh, okay. I, I would, I would almost prefer if they went into the Mutant Massacre. <gasps> and then. That is my shit. And then with the third movie, have Apocalypse. Because you could have Apocalypse and Sinister being the ones behind the yeah, Mutant Massacre. Yeah, I was about to say, if I don't purview. see a Mr. Sinister. Yeah. And it, that could be what that you know that could be the approach they take. I mean, it could be that type of story, but the way they're building it up, they're making it seem like it's this huge, you know. They you know, should have waited if they were. I mean, well, I mean, they're not necessarily going to follow the comics. There's a million ways they can do it. If they were going to do a a real lead-in that was like the comics into Apocalypse, Mutant Massacre would have been the perfect story because that's really where he comes out of. And you can reintroduce Sabretooth. You can reintroduce. Well, actually, you can just introduce the Reavers. I mean, the Reavers. Oh, you can do the Reavers, too. Yeah. See, and the that's Marauders. the way they could bring in your boy Gambit, have him come in with the Marauders, and then yeah. be the one. And you can, you, can, you, can, you can bring Toad back <gasps> in. Toad bring, was uh, so cool in the movie. That was Toad, right? Yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah. I really like that character design a lot. He was so cool. Mm-hmm. And who was the Quill guy? I don't the know. The one that made everybody sick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think I made everybody oh, puke. Uh, I know there's someone with that, but... The character in question is Spike from the X-Men Evolution animated series, though his powers here seem to be slightly different than they were in the cartoon. X-Men! Get it! You know, they could even bring him back as, you know, as Famine or uh, Pestilence. That might be why they had it, Don. Good thinking. This is really good. Good movie. I need to see it again. There are so many Easter eggs I know. You know what we didn't mention? Did you guys catch that Claremont and Ween were in the Senate chamber? Don? Yeah, I didn't notice. I didn't realize it until okay. after it was pointed out. Yeah, I caught it and I was, was convinced so that everybody in there must be a somebody, but they were the only two I saw in the credits. Oh. Yeah, I have to. I'm going to go see it again this weekend. That was pretty cool. Guys, it's been fun. I think I love that Sean gets so mad because he loves this stuff so much and he just wants everybody <laughs> to love it more than anything. It's 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 definitely that scenario where it's like, you know, why do you make me hit you <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> you laugh, but it's gonna happen in a few minutes. <sighs> no, I'm telling you, it's it's because like Don't I, ruin it for you. No, no no no. It's like I, I can't stress how much like the you know how, like, shit, just everything, like, has to fall in... Everything fell into place perfectly for me to like this movie as much as I did. Like, the way I saw it, how I saw, like, where my head was at. Like, everything about it was just, like, it turned out to be, like, the perfect day of, like, I felt like a fucking kid. Like, none of it disappointed me. Like, I was seriously 
so fucking excited the night before that I couldn't even fucking sleep. Like, I was that excited. So, like, that obviously, like, factors into it. When I saw X-Men Origins Wolverine, I was like... Like, it even affected the way that I liked First Class, because you're totally right, Don. Like, I did have the low of War Origins, so I went in with zero expectations for First Class and was pleasantly surprised. But, like, this was just like a... I don't care if anybody else thinks it's the fucking worst X-Men movie ever. Like, I have to go into this. Like, remembering that I was a 10-year-old that was like, I want to see a Sentinel in real life so bad. And not only did I see a fucking Sentinel, you got a Sentinel and Nimrods. But now compare that to my first experience seeing it, where the cutscene at the end had been spoiled. True. And I made plans to see two people, see it with two people on Sunday, both canceled on me. One of them was you because you saw it earlier in the day. Because I couldn't wait. <laughs> I'm the worst. And I had to wait an extra day. So, I'm sorry that you were so, out So, I mean, having... maybe I just wasn't in the right place, but you got to take some responsibility for that. Be- I don't affect your shit, you guys, man. You, guys, you were out you vacationing really... with your wife and hanging out with your comic book boyfriends. That's right. <laughs> You guys, you guys really are the Xavier and Magneto. That's true. Podcast. That's true. Wait, which is which? Doesn't matter. Well, right now you're uh, Sean's Xavier because he's full of hope. That's right. And that's right. And for for a while he abandoned Jerry. Let's just end on a high note of Sean feeling like a kid again. And yeah. I'm sorry, I ruined. That. Utterly loving oh, no, this movie. Awesome. I'll just cut my complaints out. But before we go, Don, you just. Two weekends ago at Appleseed Comic Con, which will be four weekends from now, released your very first full-length comic book. It is called Packs of the Low Country. Tell us about it. Thank you, Jerry. It's an action-adventure book. The writer and I, uh, John Dudley, uh, worked very hard on this. We kind of had a kind of had a weird uh, meeting of uh, interest on this book, where I was developing something on my own that tied in pretty like 50 60 percent of the of everything i was developing like synced up perfectly with this with his uh idea for this book so it was it seemed like a no-brainer to do it together yeah um the book is it's about a a world post this invasion from monsters from another dimension it takes place uh 16 years after that uh, our main character is a young fellow named Bastion, and he's grown up most of his life behind the uh, the walls of the last protected city in America. And he's, for most of his life, wondered what's become of the world out there. You know, he hears reports of you know these different invading monsters and all this chaos and other conflicting reports about what's going on. And he's he wants he wants to investigate. He wants to see what's going on. What what happened? And uh, he gets his wish. He gets to join a mission to uh, journey past the wall, and he uh, he finds more than he bargained for. It's uh, very much influenced by the '80s films of James Cameron, in that you know we're trying to pack a lot of story in, get a lot of action in, have a lot of sci-fi elements, a lot of uh, horror elements. We uh, doing a good, healthy dose of Predator in there as well, with the Low Country setting, the which is a uh, a general area in South Carolina, which has these really cool locales and wicked looking trees and just overall a, a good place to have a nice, you know, creepy story. 
but uh, we definitely threw in all our influences. It's the uh, first of six issues. The second issue is well underway. Uh, we're hoping to have that ready by uh, late September. And then, uh, you know, we're also pitching it out to some publishers. Hopefully someone takes interest and want to pick it up. But if not, you know, we're, we're still going the self-publishing route. Uh, we'll be putting in the com- Comixology Submit and all that fun stuff. So until it's available digitally, how can people get this in their hands? We're setting up a, a limited amount to be sold online. Uh, check out packsofthelowcountry.com. Uh, there's a link to a store where you can buy uh, a very, you know, buy a copy of the book. It's three dollars. Uh, we're working out how much the shipping is. We're trying to get it as cheap as possible because, you know, USPS isn't isn't too uh, isn't too cheap. But we're doing our best to try to make it as affordable yeah. for everybody. But also at packsofthelowcountry.com, there's going to be a ton of back matter, uh, you know, character bios, uh, little notes here and there, uh, some stuff you would find like in the back of a book, you know, to help flesh out, you know, things some, like stuff like Matt Fraction did with Casanova or, you know, additional story info and things like that. We're going to be putting that in the site and there's also going to be a mailing list that we're generating that will be sending out previews of the you know, the next book after each one comes out. And, you know, I, I tend to tweet a lot of the process stuff, but I'm going to be pulling back on that and focusing on keeping that to the mailing list. And so that way, you know, it's a little bit, little bit extra incentive for people to, to sign up for it and check those things out. Oh, that reminds me. You also mm-hmm. are part of a really sweet sketch blog. Yes. Quickly tell us about that one. The Imaginary Acquaintances Sketch Blog, which is a big mouthful. But if you just go to iasketchblog.tumblr.com, it's a weekly sketch blog. We pick a theme every week. Uh, themes chosen by our artists ahead of time. And we have a whole list that we're going through. And it's uh, myself and 25 other uh, great artists, uh, such as Ryan Lee, Brian Lovell, Rachel A. Anderson, uh, Ryan Kelly, Daniel Warren Johnson. My boy. Uh, yeah. Uh, Chris Peterson. There's just, I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but there's so many names. You just... Everyone's doing awesome work. You're a lucky boy. Very lucky. All right, Don, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Don. We're glad to have you back. I'm glad to be back, guys. Maybe next time I'll not complain about something so much. Okay, everybody. Later. Bye. Goodbye.
This is the worst episode ever. It is not. You got all that fun stuff at the beginning. Shut up, Jerry. <laughs> what up, man? <laughs> oh, guys, here's Finn. Finn, come say hi to everybody. Hi. Hey. Hi, everybody. Say, say, I love the X-Men. I love the X-Men. I love the X-Men. <laughs> 